You sure you know how to shoot that? Yeah. So a dirty Harry 24 times. All set. Dead man could have heard that. Hey, fellas, we got company. That didn't take very long. Steady. Go for it. Hey, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Kellen's Petty Talk Show. Today, I'm super amped up to have my good friend Tony O'Dell on the show today. He's famously known for his role as Alan and head of the class, as Jimmy in Karate Kid 1 and 2, one of the five OG Cobra Kai, and Ferdy in the horror B-movie classic, Chopping Mall. We had a blast talking about the many set stories throughout the years, a gas station mishap, and advice from John Ritter himself that is sure to inspire any actor or artist who has ever doubted themselves in this industry. I want to thank Tony for giving us his time. Him and I met recently at a screening of Chopping Mall and quickly became good friends. He's very supportive of me and my endeavors, and I am with his. If you'd like some more insider info about Tony, his upcoming convention appearances, his new roles, or his day-to-day life, drop him a follow on Instagram at Odell. That is Tony, T-O-N-Y. Odell, O-D-E-L-L. And while we're on the promotion train, drop us a follow as well at Kellen's Petty Talk Show to stay up to date on all newly announced guests. Next up, I'm very stoked to have Mexi from LA-based hardcore band Section Hate. So stay tuned. Without further ado, sharpen your pencils, bow to your sensei, and look out for the kill bots because it's time for a brand new episode. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome to Kellen's Petty Talk Show. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome to Kellen's Petty Talk Show. 
pay for it and and you still get abused. That's the best part about personal training. Like they pretty much abuse the shit out of you, but it pays off, right? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, that's the thing is because, you know, if I go to the gym on my own, I'm just going to like take my time, do my thing. You know, you start to talk to certain people at the gym. I mean, I've been a member of Gold's Gym uh, since Christ left Cleveland, which was a really long time ago. Um, (laughs) Yes, he was in Cleveland at one time, I heard. But I've, I've been there. I've been there going there since 1988. Oh, wow. Damn. Yeah. I started at four. Damn. I started at the age of four. Jeez. (laughs) You know, that's a lie. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, But yeah, I started, I started there in 1988. And so, yeah, I hired a trainer, a friend of mine I've known for 30 years and, and, uh, and it's good because he keeps me moving and he's like, I'm just going to wake everything up. I'm not going to try and kill you. Yeah. Uh, And it's, it's good. I'm burning a lot of calories. Well, yeah, because in the end of the day, you know, it's like you're not like uh, trying to train to be like a professional bodybuilder, but just to stay in good physical shape. Well, I still think I am. I still think I am trying to train to, you know, he's like, if you want, I can get you ready for a fitness show. I'm like, nah, there you go. That'd be crazy. (laughs) I don't need a fourth career, you know? Well, you are a pretty healthy person. I'll give you that. Yeah. uh, Thank you. Um, I am really healthy. I just, you know, made my egg whites with mushrooms and this afternoon I'm making a white bean soup with endive. I mean, some of these things, people are just like, what are you eating? Yeah. Um, But Kellen knows I, I, uh, I eat pretty clean tonight's broccoli and salmon. Good. That's good. Good Good stuff. I wanted to start putting egg whites in my protein shakes because I heard that's a good thing you could do. And you could just skip breakfast if you do that. Is that true? You know, it's well, it's interesting that you mentioned that because if you do, of course, you've heard of the thing of salmonella. So supposedly if you go and put raw eggs in your protein drink, you stand the chance of of getting salmonella because you don't want to eat the raw egg. However, if you you know, my grandfather um, was this just incredible, you know, Italian guy who lived to be almost 97 years old. Yeah. My grandfather would eat six raw eggs a day. Oh my just God. like literally oh. crack them in a glass. I mean, that's like the ultimate Cobra Kai. I mean, like, <laughs> <laughs> or Rocky Balboa. On that yeah, he was, he was, that's insane. You know, yeah. You know, Crease has nothing on him. <laughs> like literally crack six eggs uh, in his glass and then would just down it. Just gulp it. And his cholesterol, if you know anything about that, because Kellen knows I can also talk health yeah. all day long. Yeah. His cholesterol was 325. They that's don't like, want your total over 200. Yeah, it's through the roof. That's like 325 that, and the guy lived to be almost 97. Oh, wow. That's wow. That, that was that was so the age. It Mike. really it really just goes to to prove it's not, you know, it's not just cholesterol. It's also about arterial inflammation and stress and all that other stuff. So, yeah, he he lived to be an angry cuss until he was 97. So. I was angry. Amazing. So, <laughs> um, Kellen, go ahead. Put as many egg whites as you want in your drink. <laughs> it just seems just easier. Don't get salmonella. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think I'm gonna do that now. <laughs> Isn't salmonella from peanut butter too? No, you don't. But I don't believe you get salmonella from peanut butter. Oh, that's what I thought it was originally. Maybe that's that might wrong. just be acne. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No. 
Uh, <laughs> I mean, I know peanut butter can be supposedly inflammatory, whatever. Um, but no, that salmonella, I think, primarily comes from um, it's an animal bacteria, I mm -hmm. believe. Gotcha. So have you checked out any cool movies lately? I know we went and saw one this past week. What did you guys oh, see? Yeah, yes. went to go see Dune. How I was it? To go see Dune, and I actually I haven't been to a movie in a really long time. Well, partially, yeah. um, there was this thing called you know COVID where nobody went to the movies. Oh yeah. Uh, so I'm not the only one, but um, <laughs> I think yeah, I don't remember the last time I went to a movie. But yeah, we went to go see Dune, and. Um, it was pretty incredible. I was a little yeah. overwhelmed just because, uh, you know, the, the, you got to see it on an IMAX, in an IMAX theater. But it's just the screen is just so big mm -hmm. and there's so much coming at you and just all the action and this and that. And they're on mm -hmm. the planets and this and just so much is going on. And then you're trying to catch the dialogue and and um what's happening and you know following the story it's just a it's a crazy ride for over two hours it's definitely a, it's an awesome film they do throw a lot of information at you so if you're going to, to see it it's probably good to read up on it just a little bit beforehand i mean i thought the first half like you know i, I wasn't really confused the first half but the second half they definitely introduced a lot of characters and a lot of scenarios so it got a little yeah, and i'm easily confused in general yeah so, so. But that's why that's why I, I usually don't go for sci-fi films. I'm not a big sci-fi fan. And this was probably one of the first in a very long time that I really dug. Would you say that Dune is a movie that you have to watch more than once to get it? No, but I you feel like I need to. Yeah, like, I, you know, it's, it wasn't like hard to get, really. It's just, you know, certain aspects were. But like the whole scope of it wasn't too hard to get. But um, yeah, if you if you gotcha. go and watch it a couple of times and study up on it, I'm sure. You know, I personally cool. like would like to go back and, and see, OK, now, wait, what planet are they on? Now, wait, where are they going? Yeah. And and, and the I know there's this <laughs> dust called spice that they're trying to, you know, cultivate. And yeah. um, but just to also just hear the dialogue again. I mean, mm -hmm. um, me as an actor and an acting coach, um, I like to see movies multiple times because yeah. first right. I just got like to get the broad stroke of it. But then after that. I like to really zero in on performances. And sometimes the second time, you know how you hear lines that mm -hmm. you didn't really hear the first time, or, you know, there's just something that, you know, um, I'm watching squid game for my, my second round right now. Yeah. <laughs> that's a whole nother. Now that's not a feature, but that's a whole nother, you know, whole nother type, whole nother beast, <laughs> yeah. whole other beast to tackle. But yeah, I definitely want to be a little bit more prepared for the sequel when that comes around. At least they, they greenlit that last week. So that's good. Um, so where did you grow up? So I grew up in uh, Pasadena, California. I mean, I, I live now in, in Burbank, but uh, luckily for me, Pasadena is only 20 minutes away. So I'm only 20 minutes away from, from my grassroots. And I was born in Pasadena, raised in a town called Altadena, which is just right north of Pasadena. If everyone always says, you know, usually asks, oh, where's Altadena? Mm -hmm. It's just north of Pasadena at the foot of the mountains. So there's the San Gabriel uh, mountains where Mount Wilson and all that is. And that's where Altadena is this, this, you know, great town that's nestled up to the mountains. And um, 
yeah, I grew up there. And then, you know, that made it easy for me when I was 18 and starting to audition. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I had an audition. I only had to drive 20 or 25 minutes, uh, you know, sometimes 30 minutes to Hollywood. Mm -hmm. Um, So that made it easy, you know. Mm -hmm. Did you play any sports as a kid or have any interesting hobbies? So that's a great question. And I could probably uh, touch on that for a while. The hobbies for me were, um, um, I collected a lot of, remember the old Viewmaster? Yeah. I love those. Yeah. Yeah. I have one of the original Viewmasters from the 1960s. Kellen doesn't know a lot of, a lot of these things from the 1960s. I have that at my house with, um, some, and some of the footage in the Viewmaster is like, I have the Munsters. I have Casper. I have, I have the Wizard of Oz. I have uh, Frankenstein. Um, and then I have a lot of singles, a lot of singles records. I have um, the Beatles, Let It Be, and I have oh. the original jacket. What? There was something a little de- demonic about me, though, because when I was older and I had a protractor, you know, back in the, I guess, high school days when they give you a protractor. Yeah, yeah. There was one day where I just like poked holes in all the Beatles' eyes for no reason at all. Just. <laughs> I'm going to make holes here. So I have this, I have this amazing single of let it be of the Beatles and this jacket that has holes. It's just um, destroyed. I have uh, just a mass load of singles, you know, Stevie wonder Jefferson starship um, wow. really a classic amount of, of singles. And then I collected coins uh, mainly pennies. And I have a penny collection that goes all the way back to probably 1900 Ooh. Oh wow! Do you keep those in like in like jugs? I'm not tell you where water I jugs. <laughs> <laughs> My dad used to do that. He had like a huge water jug filled with like ten thousand pennies. And then one day he went and cashed it. <laughs> um, they they are actually in books where yeah. you have every single year and you see exactly every single coin yeah. going back to 1900. That's cool. So it's like now there's slave. a few that there's a few that I don't have because there are some like. One penny from like 1941 uh, is like, you know, $10,000 or something yeah. like that. Um, there are some that are incredibly rare that you hope to find. So I have that. And in terms of sports, um, my father, uh, after World War II, he played on uh, the White Sox for a short period of time. Oh, so, wow. and my brother got in, my brothers were really into football. I grew up playing, you know baseball and all that. Then when I was a teenager, I uh, belonged to the local swim club and I got into competitive swimming, springboard diving and gymnastics. Oh, so fantastic. I did all of those sports. I was a competitive swimmer from the age of about 13 to about 18. Wow. I was a competitive diver from the age of about 13 to 18. Wow. Uh, during that time played water polo on, uh, you know, some summers I'd play on a water polo team. Um, I also did gymnastics and taught gymnastics at the YMCA. And then when I became an actor, um, I kind of let a lot of that go to the wayside. And I then got into lifting um, Mm -hmm. and I've played competitive tennis now for like 40 years. Wow. That's insane. And it's really amazing actually that my, my, my body, you know, my joints and my shoulders, my knees and my back are still, able to function. I mean, Kellen knows I ride the bike and, you know, yeah. I stay pretty active and, um, it's not easy. I take in a leave a couple times a week, but Hey, whatever gets you through. And you said Dang. you tore your, your quad a, a bit back. Is that getting better? And are you still Ooh. doing a little bit of tennis on the side or? 
Um, not as much. I haven't played tennis since then. And you know, the difference between tennis and like now I play pickleball yesterday. I went to go play pickleball with my nephew. Um, my nephew, who's 40 years old, if you can believe that Uh, (laughs) it blows me away. Uh, we play pickleball. So pickleball itself is almost like in a sense, it's almost like ping pong on a small tennis court. And you're playing it with like plastic or fiberglass paddles, but it's a waffle ball. Yeah. And so obviously you don't have as much, um, as much ground to cover like you do in tennis when you're running all the way across the court, which is what happened. I was in new Orleans. I was coaching on a series called um, secrets of sulfur Springs, which is on Disney plus. And a couple of the crew guys said, let's go out and play tennis. So I went out the next day after a 12 hour day work and my legs were super tired. I didn't stretch. And all I did was go for, you know, just a warm up. And I took a step with my right leg and felt the pop in my, um, in my right upper quad. So when I came back, they said, yes, it's a level one tear. Uh, If it's a level three tear, you're talking about surgery. But fortunately, I've totally repaired it. I played pickleball yesterday um, and it's it's pretty much back. I'm lifting with it. Um, yeah. So. So, yeah, I just got to keep away from those injuries because they can really set you back. Yeah, just injuring your quad in general. It just doesn't sound fun at all. Oh, especially <laughs> yeah, when you go for the shot and all of a sudden I just went for it and I stepped on my right leg and I literally just heard this snap. Yeah. <sighs> <sighs> So that's something that like kills right away. Right. It doesn't just take a little bit of time for the pain to come in. I didn't feel the, yeah, I didn't feel the pain right away. All I knew is that when I felt the snap and my leg did this like really weird kind of movement, like immediately became unstable. I pulled up and I pulled up on it and I said, guys, guys, I'm out. And they're like, what's the deal? And I said, uh, I just felt the snap in my quad and, uh, and I just, and then immediately you start limping on it because you don't really know exactly how much you injured it. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, Ron Thomas, one of my fellow Cobra Kai brothers, he he completely like tore his quad off. Oh. And it wasn't until a month or two that he, then he eventually, then he started to notice the ball in his quad. Because what happens is when the muscle completely tears, like if you do your calf. Yeah it completely rolls up like a mm. scroll, you know, it, it rolls up. That didn't happen to him right away. It didn't happen till over a month. And then he saw the giant ball. And then the doctor was like, Oh, you completely detached your quad. And they had to completely sew his quad back onto the bone. Oh my God. Oh my God. And then, then you're using, then they're doing staples and, you know, it's six months of a recovery and, you know, I think it's two years later and he's still recovering. I was about to say, like, wow. how long is the recovery process? Like, well, for something geez. like that, it's a lot. I mean, I asked the doctor with my tear, he goes, oh, your tear is nothing because you can strengthen that muscle and it's a level one tear. So there's just some of the strands that tore. You didn't do a complete. And he said, and the one thing is some people completely tear the muscle. Yeah. And depending on the muscle, they can't sew a muscle back together in the middle of a muscle. Yeah. Because it'll just re-tear. The only thing they can really do is sew the, the whole muscle back onto the bone. But a lot of people tear their muscles and they don't get them repaired. They strengthen the other muscles. So, yeah, that's scary. Yeah. 
No, my so, dad's a runner. He he messed up his knees like from just running for so many years, but that's totally different. But I know no, I know and, and my knees, my knees aren't great either. I mean, I'm yeah. barely I'm barely getting by. Yeah. No, but you look good. You're healthy, and that's all that's important, you know. Yeah, you know, um, I just I try and take care of myself, and um that's all you can do. I mean, um, I'm almost 62, so I yeah. think I'm I think I'm doing okay for almost 62. Hey, you're looking good for your age, man. That's you're looking like a good 27. Thank you. I have some great surgeons. They're really taking great care of me. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 this is all just me. <laughs> Talk about how you got your start in the industry and how you acquired your SAG card. So when I was about, um, I had always wanted to kind of be an actor. And I told my mom and my dad that I did. And they're like, no, 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 no. You don't know anybody in the business. Um, you need to know someone who's going to get you in. So we're just not going to you know, waste our time doing that. Yeah. So when I was 16, I said, hey, I'm going to go take a summer session at the American Academy. Mm -hmm. I'll pay for it. My mom said, fine, do what you want. And then I got involved with a local theater in Pasadena. And... I started asking around and I, I asked one of the actresses dads, I said, Hey, um, what's this thing called like a SAG list of agents. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, SAG is like one of the unions there's SAG and there's AFTRA. And he said, and these are, a, this is a list of SAG franchised agents. Mm -hmm. And you just go on there and you see like, you know, who handles kids, who handles older stars, who yeah. does just commercials. And so over a period of time, I started getting educated as to who those agents were and who I needed to send my resume out to. Yeah. So I sent my resume out to um, one of the, only four agents. One of them was Mary Grady. Mm -hmm. And um, Mary Grady was pretty much the top agent in the business for young, uh, young actors. Mm -hmm. She had an actor on every series. She had... Todd Bridges on different strokes. She had Melissa Sue Anderson on Little House on the Prairie. She had her very own son, Don Grady, played Robbie Douglas in My Three Sons. Her daughter, Lonnie O'Grady, was on Eight is Enough. I mean, it just, Aaron Moran from Happy Days. I mean, it just went on and on. So I knew when I walked in her office and I saw this wall full of, full of all of these young stars who I was like, I myself was star, you know, starstruck. Yeah. And, and she's like, you know, I like you, you're 18 and you look like you're 12. I want to sign you. Yeah. <laughs> Cause that was a feather in my cap. The fact that I could go on in a lot of auditions and if it was for a 13 year old role, well, there'd be a bunch of 13 year olds in the waiting room with their parents. Mm -hmm. I'd come walking in looking like I was 13, but I was 18. So they didn't need a parent on the set. They didn't need a social worker on the set. Yeah. teacher, anything. So fantastic. she signed me. She started sending me out for auditions. And on my fifth audition, I booked a movie called um, Good Luck, Miss Wyckoff. It was four yeah. lines in a high school classroom. And um, that got me my SAG card. Nice. Tell us about how you met Miss Wyckoff. <laughs> I like this story. <laughs> this, is the, this, is, uh, this is such a great story. It's just typical Hollywood story, but it's just, um, I remember the movie was filming in Fresno. The movie was called Good Luck, Miss Wyckoff. Um, movie did not do well. It was a very rough, uh, very rough subject matter. Yeah. And uh, 
but I was hired to go do four lines in this movie. And it was a big deal for me. I'm flying to, to Fresno for my big break, you know, the trailer with your name on it, you're getting your SAG card. So I'm sitting on the airplane and I know I must've been, you know, reading the script or looking at it because even though you may only have four lines, when you're starting out, you go over those four lines over and over and over again. Oh yeah. I just remember being on the plane and there's this woman next to me and she has this like short kind of black hair. And I could tell she was, looked like she was in her, you know, forties or so late forties. And she's, you know, and I kind of smiled at her and she goes, um, hi, she goes, so, uh, so are you, you know, flying home? And I said, oh no, I'm, I'm flying up to Fresno to, uh, do a movie, a part in a movie. And of course I didn't mind hamming it up and bragging a little bit, you know, I was like, yeah, of course go do a movie. (laughs) Every kid wants to say that. So, so she goes, Oh, she goes, that that's, that's great. She goes, um, what's the movie? And I said, it's a movie called good luck, Miss Wyckoff. And she turns to me and she reaches out her hand and she goes, hello, I'm Miss Wyckoff. (laughs) And I looked at her and then I realized I was talking to Carolyn Jones, who I grew up with as, uh, you know, knowing her as Morticia from the Adams family. I mean, yeah, that's that's pretty iconic. It's like sitting next to, you know, Mrs. Brady from the Brady Bunch. Or, you know, um, it was, you know, you're sitting with, I was well, like, wow, I'm sitting with Carolyn Jones from the Adams family. So cool. So I remember at that moment, I was just like, oh, hi, uh, it's, it's <laughs> nice to meet you. And then I was like, all like quiet because I didn't want to like disturb her or anything. And so that was my um, that was my first experience uh, with my SAG card. So awesome. your, your parents weren't really exactly on board with your desire to become an actor in the beginning. But when did they like finally come around to accepting the fact that you made the right choice? Well, to touch a little bit on when you said they weren't on board, um, I think I finally told my mom I was going to be an actor when I was around 16 and she was vacuuming at the time. And I think she actually tried to suck me up into the vacuum cleaner, like, <laughs> attacking me with it. She's like, you're not going to become an actor. You're not. I'm like, hey, chill out, you know. Um, but then I got an agent and they were like, wow, you got an agent? And I was like, yeah, I walked in this agent, Mary Grady's office and um she signed me. Yeah. I'm like signed with Mary Grady agency. And she's got this person and this person and this person. And they're like, okay, well, you know, let's see how that goes. And then they next thing they know, I got the film three months later yeah. and I got my SAG card and, and, um, and then I, you know, got chips and then I got general Ho- I mean, I got general hospital. That was just a small silent bit to help me get my after card. But then I got my first speaking role was in chips. Um, trick or trick. And, yep. Trick yeah. or trick was the episode. <laughs> and uh, I then started working more. I became a semi-regular in eight is enough. Then I became a semi-regular in dynasty in 1980. And dynasty was just prior to my father um, getting sick and passing away. And oh, you know, by that time they were, Thank you. By that time, they were kind of, they were kind of getting on board with it. They like saw me like, you know, doing my thing and succeeding. And it's like, where are you going now? I'm like, oh, I booked a national commercial. I'll be back later, you know? (laughs) And and they were getting kind of used to it. And then one of the last things my father ever said to me was that he was 
really proud of what I was doing and to, and to never quit and to always keep doing what I was doing, which mm. to me was like, fantastic. And one of the coolest things ever that, that I think I ever experienced was, you know, during that time I started um, doing the, the teen magazines, a lot of the teen magazines were starting to reach out and, Oh, new kid on, you know, new kid in town, blah, blah, blah. So I was starting to end up in the teen magazines and unbeknownst to me, my father carried a stack of the teen magazines that I was in, meaning my dad would go into grocery stores. No way. He would go through the teen magazine section. I mean, they obviously must have thought he was like, why is this man in his, <laughs> in his 50s going into a store and buying teen magazines? Oh, my God. Um, so after he had passed away, my mom was going through his, uh, his produce truck. And she came home and she goes, here, I found these. And I go, what are those? And she goes, your father was keeping these in his truck so that he could show all of his friends, yeah. you know, that you had done, that you were doing well and that you were in all these teen magazines. That was pretty cool. That's incredible. That made me feel really just incredible to know that my dad was going out of his way to go in stores, yeah. find, you know, teen magazines with me in it and share it with his friends. Well, you know, and having supportive parents is so important too. It's, it's cool that they came around. Absolutely. And if it's worth saying, you know, I think your dad would be proud to see what you're doing to this day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he would be. And, uh, and I know in, in my mom was always just, you know, incredibly proud. Of course she saw, uh, the, really the bulk of my career. Um, she saw most of it all happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was awesome too. You know, she got a kick out of all of it. So once you started with your agent and you worked steadily for many years without ever having to get like a normal nine to five job, how did you manage to do that? And what, and was your agent just like sending you on countless auditions? She just sent, yeah, exactly. She sent me on countless auditions. Um, it was, she sent me up for, for print jobs. Yeah. I mean, I was a hand model for, remember the electronic snare drum for Mattel? Yeah, or they had an electronic snare drum that went hey, do, 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 that kind of a thing. <laughs> and, you know, um, I was the hand model, like sitting there smiling as you like pretend like you're drumming on the drums. And um, I did modeling. I did uh, commercials. I must have done over like 25 national commercials, uh, Del Monte Peaches, Shirty Odorant, McDonald's, just so many of those. And she just put me on everything. She's like, I'm pretty much just right now, you just seem to be the just perfect for almost every market. And fortunately, also, I did voiceovers too. So she put me in for a cartoon series. I booked a cartoon series for three years that I did with um, Corey Feldman and Nancy McKeon. Um, uh, She put me in for episodic. She put me in for films. She put me in for everything. And fortunately enough, I booked everything. Mary said to me when I finished head of the class, when I was 31 years old, she said, I don't think you've ever gone eight weeks without a job in 17 years. That's insane. It's wild. <laughs> I was so incredibly fortunate. Um, I worked all the time and I was successful really from the get-go and, you know, I, I know how that is not normal. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that, you know, the feather in my cap was the fact that I, I looked so much younger 
um, than I was. And that really, really helped me in terms of booking a lot of things. And that and the fact that I guess I, you know, kind of had the, the clean cut, all American type look, which at the time was um, really marketable. I remember there's a time then when I was like 31 and I looked like I was 24 or 25, but they're like, no, we, we want more of the gritty kind of edgy, uh, uh. Uh, you know, um, the do with the long hair and um, who's the guy that does all of the, uh, his name, like went right out of my head, but you know, just uh, Johnny Depp, you know, just yeah. it's that grungy, that just grungy <laughs> look. So what I would do is I would try and grow hair on my face and I went and got an <laughs> earring in my ear and the, my agent would call the casting directors and go, so what'd you think? Cause he looks different now. Right. And they're like, no, it looks like Tony Odell with a beard. <laughs> <laughs> It's That's like, amazing. There's no, it doesn't really look that different. He's still different. He still has a baby face, which I've always just kind of had that baby face. And yeah, you know, yeah, but she's, they're like, no, it doesn't look that different. <laughs> so, you know, and I tell this to my clients, you know, don't try and fight the kind of stuff you're going to go up for, yeah. or if they want to completely pigeonhole you in a particular, yeah. you know, category, if that's your category, it works both ways. You and know. that's what works for you though. Take it to the bank. Exactly. Exactly. You know, you know and like, you know, Kellen, if your thing is the, the guy with the, the, the glasses and, you know, and he's a say that's most marketable as a young lawyer or, uh, or a guy at a, a bank teller at a bank, mm-hmm. you know, and you're like, well, gosh, that seems to be the only thing I'm seem to be booking. They'll never let me play this or let me. So what? Yeah. I tell everybody, if that's what you're booking, if that's where you're going to make your money, take it all the way to the bank. What do you care if you're wearing those glasses and you're playing that kind of a part for 30 years? I mean, I don't think that the 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 actress who plays Flo in the progressive commercial <laughs> really thought that that was going to be the pinnacle no. of her acting career. But if Flo was watching this... <laughs> whatever the actress's name is, I would tell her good on her because she is taking that all the way to the bank. And we don't always necessarily get the career that we dream of. Yeah. (laughs) And I tell actors, it's nice to have dreams about the kind of career you want, but let the universe tell you the kind of career you're going to, you're going to have. I mean, she now probably makes a million dollars a year and has for probably oh. the last 10 years. 12, I'm sure the royalties are how insane. How long we've seen those. And now they've added that other guy is a re, is a regular in those commercials with her. You oh, know, yeah, yeah. if you told me, hey, you're going to do progressive commercials for 20 years, it's going to make you about 20 or $30 million. You're set and for life. pretty much going to be the extent of your career. I'll be like, fine, you can find me on my ranch in Boise, Idaho. <laughs> <Yeah>. I mean, <laughs> you know, just, it's all a gift. Whatever work you do in this business, whatever you can do, um, you know, just work. And yeah. you just to be able to work is is a gift. So and you just got to have the drive and you got to believe in yourself. You That's know, it. You have to have the perseverance. Uh, sorry, you're going about to say something. Oh yeah, no, yeah. You know, it doesn't matter what role you play because you know what. In the end of the day, whether if it's even a big budget project or a small budget project, you're doing what you love doing. You're acting. You're portraying something that you're probably different from in the compared to the real world. Or whether if you're doing stunt work or fight choreography, you're getting to 
kick ass on camera and, you know, and still not get hurt. You're living it. Yeah. You're living a dream. You're living a dream. It's so true, Ed. And, you know, um, you know, Kella knows that I, I coach on a lot of, a lot of series, um, mm-hmm. movies. I've done diary of a wimpy kid one and four, All right. um, you know, George Lopez show, um, tons of Nickelodeon shows with kids, a lot of, uh, well, Disney channel, um, you know, shake it up, girl meets world, Casey undercover, you know, and I've spent all these years, you know, working with Zendaya. Um, but to me that to this day, I still love walking on a lot yeah, and seeing all of the stages and walking into a set when I'm on set for me, just I'm home. Yeah. As cliche as it sounds, it's really true. I still love walking on a set and having them, you know, talk about, oh, well, they used to shoot Laurel and Hardy here and they shot I Love Lucy here. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's still a gift. Um, and the fact that I can still be able to do this 44 years later, which is weird because at times it doesn't seem that long, but it really has been 44 years. Yeah. Um, in February of 2022, uh, it'll be 44 years because February 9th of 1978 was when I signed with Mary Grady. Rest in peace. Yep. Amazing, amazing woman. And I am, um, I never usually leave my camera <laughs> because, because the camera is always where I like to be, but this is a photo uh, with me and Mary uh, Grady. Mary. And that was her 90th birthday. Long life. Um, that was her 90th birthday. And she just passed last year at the age of 96. Oh, wow. And I mean, what, what an incredible, first of all, what an incredible agent, mm-hmm. but what an incredible woman. Uh, she took me under her wing. Uh, when my father passed in 81, she invited me to come up to the three rivers and stay in her cabin just to have a few days to, to, to get away. Um, she was amazing. And, you know, she had three children of her own, Don Grady, who I mentioned and Lonnie O'Grady, both who passed away. So um, she survived two of her three children. Mary Lou is, is, is doing well and we're in contact, but yeah, you know, to be 96 years old and, and to have lost both of your, you know, two of your three children, it's, it's rough. She was just, she was really like just an incredible lady. And I always say that uh, my house is the house that Mary Grady built. That's awesome. So yeah, we kind of built it, you know, we built it together um, because well, obviously it was clearly head of the class and karate kid that really helped, uh, help me get this house. But, um, mm-hmm. she was, she was responsible for that. That's fantastic. It's awesome. So now, now that we're on the topic of karate kid now, tell us about the audition process for karate kid. Did you originally audition for the role of Jimmy or did you audition for a different role and land the role of Jimmy? Excellent question. Uh, Mary called me, said, you're going to go in and audition for uh, the casting director, Carol Jones. Um, I went in and read for her in her casting office. And she was like, I like you. She said, um, can you meet me at uh, Warner Brothers in about three hours? 
and meet me later on this afternoon. She said, I'd like to introduce you to the director. And I said, you know, sure, absolutely. So I went to Warner Brothers and I went to um, her office there and she said, okay, I'm going to walk you over. And I walked over and it was just a small little stage. It was really kind of dark and they had the, the, a row of chairs and then another elevated row of chairs. And John Avildsen was sitting on the top row. And I can't remember if there was anyone sitting with him. I just walked in and she walked in in front of me and she said, uh, John, this is Tony O'Dell. And, you know, I said hello to him and we read the scene, whatever scene it was, I can't remember at the time, but I do remember that I finished. And John Avildsen was like, really nice, really nice. And he sat there for a second and he thought, and he goes, you know, um, I was only going to have four Cobra Kai's in the film and um and i have the four and i thought at that moment he's going to go so thank you very much you know? yeah. <laughs> the door's right there yeah. but he goes um i have the four but i want to make you the fifth nice so cool and i was like okay and he goes um you're not going to you're not going to say a lot. He says, you're going to have a couple of lines in the film. Yeah. But you're going to be there the whole time. You're going to be one of the Cobra Kai's. You're going to be one of the buddies. Mm -hmm. I want you to be, because you go, he, he said, you look young. So I want you to kind of be like the tag along, the one that like wants to be part of, you know, because you, you look so young and so innocent. I want you to be the one who like, young, innocent one who wants to be one of the cool kids. Yeah. You know? He wants to hang out with Johnny and Bobby and Dutch, you know, he wants to hang out with those guys. And so, you know, you're going to be in the, in, sometimes behind them kind of like, you know, just, you're, just you want to be in it. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I was like, heck, I don't care what you do, you know, stick me on set and stick me in the corner. I don't care. As long as you pay me, I get yeah. to be on this incredible film. Of course, we didn't know it was going to be incredible, but I knew it was something special. I mean, he was uh, the guy that did Rocky. So you must have known. I knew that much. I was yeah. like, okay, this guy who just finished Rocky yeah. is telling me that he liked me and he wanted to add me to the film and make me the fifth Cobra Kai for whatever that meant. Yeah. But he said, you're going to be there. The, the same amount of time you're going to get paid the same as the rest of the guys. You're going to be one of the Cobra Kai's. And I remember I left and I called a friend of mine and I said, gee, I don't know. Do I do this? Because it's your basic like scale, weekly scale. Um, but there's going to be residuals and I'm going to be one of the Cobra Kai's, but I only have like a couple of lines and yeah. I've already come off of, having another series called other world. I've had other projects where I had a lot more to do. I was featured. And, you know, he said, but how long are you going to be on the movie? I said, well, it's like a month of training and then another two or three months of filming, which that right there is, you know, that, that yeah, page adds up when you're yeah. 23 years old. Absolutely. And, you know, just to drive to the set every day, they had to give us some, um, what they call drive to, so I was getting handed like $75 a day cash just to drive to set. Holy shit. Yeah. And 
Um, we had to be on set, whether we were in scenes that day that we're filming or not. We had to be on set every day because Pat Johnson, who was our trainer, who yeah. played the referee in all the um, in all the the fight scenes at the end of Karate Kid One, mm-hmm. um, he demanded that we had karate uh, practice mm-hmm. every day on set, whether we were filming or not. So we were on set every day. We got drive to every day. Uh, my friend convinced me to take it in one of the one of the best decisions of my life. That's wild. I kid you not. Pat Johnson is the brother of my old guitar teacher, believe it or not. Yeah. He's the brother of your old guitar teacher. Yeah. Uh, Pat Johnson, his brother, is, uh, his name is Bob Johnson. He taught me when I used to live in Buffalo, New York. And I think uh, Pat and went to the martial arts route. Well, he did go the martial arts route. Yeah, that's no, for sure. That's crazy. No, no, I, I've, <laughs> yeah. I've, I've seen his work and, you know, yeah. he's amazing. You know, he actually, and a lot of people don't know this, the style, um, and I haven't talked a lot about this in, in podcasts, the um, the style that was used in Karate Kid is called uh, Tang Sudo. Tang Sudo, that's right. And that is Chuck Norris's style. Mm-hmm. So uh, at the time, Chuck Norris was the president of the Tong Sudo style. Mm-hmm. And Pat Johnson was the vice president of the Tong of the Tong Sudo style. So we, you know, we knew we had someone that was pretty awesome training us. Um, and uh, I learned a lot. I was not a black belt or anything. I was clearly physical because I had already done, um, you know, I had already had quite a, a life filled full of sports. Um, but Ron Thomas, uh, who played Bobby, Ron was a second degree black belt going into karate kid, which he didn't tell them at the time and later until they asked, and then they knew he had the experience, but, uh, he didn't say anything about it. Uh, Pat knew Chad McQueen very well. Cause Pat Johnson was friends with Steve McQueen, Chad McQueen's father. So just the fact that, Steve McQueen was Chad McQueen's dad. Chad knew already so much about fighting and racing cars. And of course there was no car racing in Karate Kid, but he, you know, he learned from his dad. He certainly knew, he certainly knew how to fight. Mm -hmm. Um, But was Billy was on his own. I was on my own. We were all just trained for the movie. So not having any prior karate or fighting experience, was it somewhat nerve wracking entering the project initially, you know, with, with the other people that already did have experience or were you just ready to start training and you didn't really care? No, unfortunately I never got too caught up in that. I was just like, Oh wow, man, Ron, that's a, that's a really high kick, you know, (laughs) but, but I was, because I was so involved in sports, Mm -hmm. you know, being a swimmer and a diver and gymnastics, I mean, I knew about stretching. Mm-hmm. So it was nothing for me to be like, Oh, okay, well, this is how you punches. All right, fine. And Oh, my leg needs to go that high to kick. Oh, okay, fine. No problem. I could do it because I was a gymnast. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, it was learning the technique of doing like a sidekick or a roundhouse or certain things like that. But at least I had the physical body for it and I had the flexibility for it. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in martial arts, flexibility is a key thing. Even with, I, I train in Taekwondo and oh. like getting, like getting like the, we, a lot of work on the lower body, especially. And like, 
I go as far as using a split machine to help get like the kicks a little more higher. And it's, it's painful, but you know what, in the end of the day, the stretches pay off. Yeah. Um, I always marvel at the people who have that kind of flexibility. A friend of mine, Noah, he's a stunt guy. And he always posts his pictures on Instagram where he's just standing there and he's in a kick pose, (laughs) but, and I kid you not, he's standing perfectly straight up. He's turned to the side to get the kick, but his leg is actually perfectly straight up, straight up to the ceiling. And he's about five, 11, maybe six foot, maybe six feet tall. Wow. Uh, his extension is absolutely perfectly straight up. And oh, that's insane. You know, yeah, you better get in a stretch machine. For that. Yeah, yeah. I, Van Dam has nothing on him. <laughs> uh, but I was pretty impressive, though, when Van Dam used to do the thing where both oh, yeah. legs up on the table. Yeah. Um, I might try that actually when this, uh, when this is over. Yeah. See how far I get. You'll, I'll send you a little still photo of me like on a chair with both of my legs. And this, is, this is as far as I've gotten. No, you'll just, you'll just back up a little bit. We'll take a screenshot with the, <laughs> with the video. Yeah. Um, so Ralph just celebrated his 60th birthday. I just realized last night that he was 22 when he did this movie. That blew my mind. No. No, he wasn't. Wait, I think he was. Cause he just turned sixty. Yeah. No, 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 no. Cause I'm. He just turned sixty, and I'm about to be sixty-two. So I'm a year and a half. Gosh, you know what? Maybe you're. <laughs> I swear to God. Never tell. You should never tell the podcast interviewer yeah. that he's wrong. Because I think you are right. I for some reason. Oh, you know what it is. When we did eight is enough, I did eight is enough. And then he came in and did eight is enough the year after me. And I think when he did eight is enough, he was about 19. Okay. And then he did when, so if I was 23 doing karate kid, he had to be 21. That's wild. But Kellen and I have had these conversations before (laughs) because he'll say, wait, when was your dad born? And I'll tell him. And he's like, well, my dad's born. And he's like, when was your brother born? Wait a minute. And, and he knows that sometimes my math isn't always great. That's all good. <laughs> why, do you, why do you think Hollywood likes to always use older people for high school roles? Um, I think I know the technical monetary answer to that mm-hmm. and the emotional answer to that. Okay. Um, so if I lose track of my answer, remind me of what I just said. <laughs> okay. Um, The technical aspect would be the fact that if they're hiring someone who's over 18 versus to play a a 13 or 14 year old role versus hiring someone who's 13 or 14, you don't have to have a parent on the set, but more importantly, you don't have to have a social worker teacher on the set, which means, and they have to pay extra money to have that social worker and or teacher on the set Mm. and pay good money to have that person on the set every single day to be there with that minor. If I'm not a minor on the set, they don't have that extra expense and nor do they have to deal with some of the parents who can be, you know, a pain in the ass. Mm -hmm. Um, I've seen them. I've seen plenty of those. Uh, The emotional part of it is the fact that um, you'd never want your maturity to creep into the fact that you're playing a 13 or 14 year old role. So you have to remind yourself 
stay immature, you know, uh, yeah. don't, don't play this too mature. You're 18 or 19. So try not to play it too mature or too knowing mm-hmm. be young, mm-hmm. be, be, be naive, be, you know, be that because when I was 26 playing 15 and head of the class, <laughs> there were a couple of times where they'd say, you know, mm, seemed like your delivery might've been a little mature, <laughs> dumb it down a little bit, you know, dumb it down, make it naive, make it fun, keep it light or whatever. Don't come at it with this wisdom yeah. or whatever that you might know. Um, I thought for sure you would have been like 18 in that. I did not know you were 15 in that. I was, well, That's well, we're head of the class started and where we finished. I true. mean, granted, when the series ended, we were 18 and graduating. True, true. So if the series was five years, <laughs> uh, we definitely started at more of the age of like 14 and 15. The thing that cracked most people up was like, okay, wait a minute. These guys have been in high school now for five years. Yeah. And they're in they're part of an individualized honors program. <laughs> How is it these kids that are so intellectually gifted and are now in high school for, you know, five years. But we always Mm. said that one season would kind of make up less than a year. You know, there was always ways you could, you could tweak it. But um, yeah, I mean, I finished the series at the age of 31 playing 18. I'm, you know, I'm I'm older than, than I'm older than Luke Perry was. I'm older than Ralph. I'm older than Willie Ames. I'm older than I'm probably, one of the oldest guys in television to play a teenager. Mm-hmm. And you probably still have aged the best out of all of them. <laughs> if you say so, yeah. what's your Venmo? I'm going to Venmo you 50 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, just it's, it's uh, fortunately I have good genes thanks to my parents and just, a, you know, a life of, of, of pretty clean living. I've definitely had my fun. Yeah. Um, and haven't had my, my, uh, shortage of experiences, but, yeah. um, I've always kind of had my health at the forefront. I think part of it was the fact that my dad did pass at a young age. Mm-hmm. So I always wanted to like do whatever I could to try and, and keep, uh, sickness away. Yeah. Except for when we went to Dune, we got popcorn, <laughs> <laughs> which was very, very good. We got, and when did I that. tell you was the last time that I had ever had movie theater popcorn. Like the last time you went to the movies, I think, maybe or maybe not. It was a while before that. Can't no, remember. yeah, and so literally, like uh, it was probably two years, two or three years since wow. I had done that. I mean, I obviously make it at home, but I don't make it with you know make it the way they do at theaters. But saturated fat or whatever. Right. Oh. I just don't. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's go ahead and just clog your arteries. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> It is good, though. That is the one thing I buy from movie theaters is the popcorn. I always sneak in candy. I sneak in drinks. Popcorn Mm. is the one thing I'll I'll always get there. I'm right there with you. When I was talking to my trainer this morning, we were talking about cheat meals. Oh, yeah. So he goes, Tony, he's like, what's your cheat? Yeah. And I'm like, well, you know, I don't know. Sometimes I like tortilla chips. And he's like, really? That's your cheat? And I'm like, yeah. And so oh, sometimes I like popcorn too. He's like, that's your cheat? He's like, <laughs> yeah. dude, for some people, you know, a cheat would be going to Dino's in Burbank and ordering a lasagna pizza. Where, <laughs> What? That's a thing? 
Oh yeah. Yeah. They actually, I, I, Kellen's going to be like, well, I'm not crazy about, I mean, I know how yeah. Kellen is about his pizza, but they actually do have a lasagna pizza where the entire what? Pizza has all the ingredients of lasagna. So mm. maybe we'll go today. I literally have a Dino's flyer on my fridge right now. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> well, <laughs> yes, they have a lasagna pizza, but um, my cheat for me, honestly, is like, I feel so guilty and I'll, I'll order like, I get like the organic blue corn chips. Yeah. You know, because I think if they're blue corn, they're healthier or whatever. They're good. I think that that's for me, that's for me is a big cheat. Really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like, I feel some, like not Arbs. if I eat like five chips with some guacamole, but who can eat five chips? You can't. I mean, I mean get out of here. <laughs> and not when they're, not when they're really good. Yeah. Um, Unless you're on like an airplane, because every every airplane snack is like five chips. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're so. And small. they give you the almond bag, and I'm like, yes, almonds. And you open it up, and like seven fall out. <laughs> yeah, it's the biggest slap to the face ever. I think right. the only yeah, like, the only um, good hike. Um, uh, <laughs> you have two bags, please. Can I have two bags, please. Yeah, right. <laughs> I always ask for like two drinks, or I'll get like a I'll get like a juice and like a water, so I have two drinks. <laughs> Yeah, I do that too. But the last flight attendant on my last flight wasn't so it's like, you know, I would be like, I would ask for a second, you know, like yeah. I have a second bag of it, you know, and, and the next time, last time she came around, I was like, excuse me. She's like, what? <laughs> just, I just really wanted another, you know, just a little bag. Yeah. Because, you know, they don't serve you food anymore, really. So yeah, it sucks. Yeah. yeah. And it stinks. But anyways, I always, I always end up falling asleep or like resting my eyes when they're coming by with the drinks and the snacks. And then I open my eyes and they're like five aisles ahead already. And I'm like, Damn. yeah, another <laughs> way past you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, anyways, even though Martin Cove is known to be one of the nicest people out there, at least he's one of the nicest people I've met in the past. Would he get into Crease's mindset and act like his character off camera to help sell the character? I never saw Mar. Uh, I never saw Marty, like, decrease outside of the character. No. Mm -hmm. We were on set. I mean, maybe there are times where you know you're getting focused or you're focusing or thinking of your lines or whatever. But no, when when Marty's with us, you know, I'll never I'll never forget it. And he just he still does it to this day. It could be like a while since we've seen Marty. And like, I just ran into him at a Comic-Con and well, ran into him. We spent the whole weekend together. But when I first saw him, whenever he sees us, the first thing he says is, my boys. <laughs> he refers to us as his boys. You know, That's awesome. he always, it's always my boys. My Cobras. Yeah. And no, off the set in between scenes, he's just always fun. Um, he's always telling old Hollywood stories. Oh, I love um, that. You know, just great Hollywood, funny stories. Um, some I cannot repeat. Uh, <laughs> At least not on here. Later you can. But yeah, later. Uh, but he Marty is just such a such a great guy, and he's so fun and um I love him. He's just, we just spent a weekend together in San Antonio. Oh, awesome. So it was really nice just to, to be together. And, you know, we all did a Comic-Con. It was just nice to be together and hang out with him and spend time. Um, 
you know, and as we get older, the time becomes more precious. Absolutely. Uh, you know, we lost Rob Garrison who played yeah. Tommy. Yeah. And, and so, you know, um, we realize, we realize how fortunate we are to still have this gift that is the, you know, the gift that keeps on giving mm-hmm. and to all still be able to get together and, and have those memories and still make new ones, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I can actually, you know, confirm as well, like Martin Cove is like the sweetest guy you could ever meet. I remember I met him six years ago, long before Cobra Kai, like was ever, I think a thought in anybody's mind at a comic con in South Florida. And he was just so nice to my, to myself, uh, my sister, my niece and my nephew, when we went to this event and he said, Hey, uh, I'm staying at the, uh, embassy suites uh this is my room number call me and i'll come down to the lobby and hang out with you guys and i literally went wow. there i called like uh his number i was like martin uh hey uh it's it's ed uh, from the comic-con we're downstairs in the lobby he's like yeah yeah i'll be right down and he just hung out with us while he was waiting for uh i think he was going to dinner because ralph macchio appeared there so did william zopka and uh c thomas howell because c thomas howell also did uh, outsiders. outsiders yeah outsiders yeah. so i think they were which all i was up for yeah really <laughs> so they all like what were, so i think martin was just waiting for them and he was just hanging out with us telling us stories and all that he's just i literally hope i have a chance to meet him again he's just such a wonderful guy to be around he you really never told me a... that story i never told you that I, I, oh. I thought i did tell you that but i think we we met c thomas howell in erie pennsylvania together we did we yeah, did i remember yeah. that yeah we did. And I've, I, I go back to with C Thomas Howell for, Oh my gosh, so long. Um, He's a good guy too. You yeah. know, I, and you know, you mentioned the outsiders. There were three, I'd say there were, there were about four movies that, that I auditioned for that were huge. And, and one was blue lagoon. Really? You auditioned for blue the lagoon? outsiders. Yep. The other one was a movie directed by Franco Zeffirelli. I believe it was called Endless Love with Brooke Shields. Wow. And the last one, and the one that hurt the most. Oh, no. Uh Oh. Ordinary People with Timothy Hutton. Oof. Oh. The reason why was because not only was his dad played uh, by Donald Sutherland, and his (sighs) mother was played by... Mary Tyler Moore, who literally was doing, uh, you know, a major drama and, you know, a d- dramatic role in a film, which everyone knows Mary Tyler Moore is, you know, sitcom. Icon. But the role was such a phenomenal role. And I had two callbacks for it. But the part that killed the most was um, Timothy Hutton killed it so well that he won the Academy Award. <laughs> So I was like, oh my gosh, so close, so close close to a role. Now, who knows? Maybe I wouldn't have done it the same. Maybe I wouldn't have gotten that nomination, but But Timothy Hutton got nominated and then he won uh, the Oscar for um, that role in Ordinary People. That's so cool. And Judd Hirsch played his therapist. And I mean, it was such a phenomenal cast, really, really uh, tough movie. Yeah really tough movie about a, you know, uh, a young, a young son who 
um, has lost his brother in a drowning accident. He feels responsible for the drowning Mm -hmm. and the parents are already kind of like not getting along. And that, that loss is what just kind of drives a huge wedge in between this, this family. So much tension. Yeah. It's so much tension and it's yeah. Heavily dramatic. And I mean, you know, um, I cried when I watched the film and I cried when he won. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. Well, as much as that's that might sting, though, at least you were in the conversation. You know, you you went up for it like that's cool. You know, yeah. And to have had a call back, you know. Yeah, of course. Um, that was that was a big deal. You know, you mentioned something earlier about, you know, sticking it out in this business or whatever. Mm-hmm. And there was something I wanted that I had forgotten. Um that would still be good to add is John Ritter. Uh, I, I guest starred in a series in my early twenties and um, John Ritter was also guest starring in the episode. And uh, for those who are watching, who don't know who John Ritter is, first of Legend. all, how Loved can him. you not know? But I mean, three's company, Yeah, you know, it was, it was child. <laughs> John Ritter was, it. was just such a classic actor and such a great guy. And we were on set and he said to me, I want you to remember something. Um, the ones who make it aren't necessarily the best. You don't have to be the best, mm-hmm. but you have to persevere. The ones who make it are the ones who stick it out the longest and persevere because eventually you're going to be in the position where all the planets are going to line up. Right place, right time. Right place at the right time. And your your ship is going to come in. I like that. And that's Perfect what advice. I took away from John Ritter. And I'll never forget that, you know, my afternoon talking with him on set. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that little piece of information he gave me. Because there were times where I was like, man, you know, I'm like, you know, I was auditioning against other guys like C. Thomas Howell and Rob Lowe. And I'm like, man, Rob Lowe is booking everything I'm going in on. Yeah. And there was that little voice in my head saying, persevere, stick it out. That's okay. You're, you're getting callbacks. So as long as you're getting callbacks, you're getting close. And eventually Rob Lowe is going to be working and he's not going to be available and you're going to be next in line, you know? <laughs> so it's just right place at the right time, but you have to persevere and you have to stick it out in order for that to happen. Yeah. You know, you have to be able to be there to buy the lottery ticket in order to win. Exactly. And you got to believe about a lot of lottery tickets. You, know, yeah. you, you think of it like this, if one door closes on you, another one's going to always open. You know, if you don't get the one audition, there's always going to be another opportunity that comes. Yep. That's absolutely true. I mean, you know, and I'm not going to on the touch on the specifics of this, but, you know, Kella knows this last week I've been auditioning. I've been interviewing for two coaching gigs. Yep. And I found out last night that one that I, you know, um, had kind of wanted. Heck, I'd want anyone right now because right now I'm I'm not working. It's a good time for me to maybe hop on to a new show coaching, which is something I love to do as well. And yeah. Um, in the afternoon, I had another production company call and say, hey, are you available? And I was worrying about the other one that I had interviewed for. And they called last night and said, you know, we love you. You're great. But we're going to go a different route. And it's OK. You're not going to get all of them. You, yeah. you don't need all of them. 
No. Leave something for everybody else. You only Absolutely. need you only need one. Exactly. You know, it's just stay working, just stay busy. It doesn't matter. And you already it. have this other one you're looking forward to that you hear back on Monday about. Yeah, right? and I'm looking forward to this one, you know, now. And who yeah. knows? We'll see on Monday if if we can work it out. That's great. Yeah. If not, I know that there are other uh, production companies who have asked for my resume. It's just all part of the game. The fact is, are you still in the game or are you not? Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's all about perseverance. Of course. Mm-hmm. So tell us about the chemistry you had with Ralph and Will for Karate Kid. Uh, did you have to try hard to not like Ralph since he was your rival in the movie? <laughs> no, I mean, we always like Ralph. <laughs> you know, Ralph is, is hard not to like. Um, Ralph is just, Ralph's a great guy. Uh, Billy's different. Billy's Billy. He's, you know, he's our head Cobra Kai. And, and, and uh, we had so much fun doing the movie and it was like camp, all of us, the five of us hanging out together, motorcycles and them letting us take our motorcycles. Literally there'd be no one at the Warner brothers ranch. And the Warner brothers ranch has all these old sets, including like the old Western town where they would do like these incredibly famous old Westerns. And they'd be like, Hey, you guys, it's a Saturday. No one's around. Take your motorcycles for motorcycle practice and let's go up and down like Western town. And we were literally taking our motorcycles through literally in and out of the saloons, down the stairs, up there. (laughs) You know, I'm like the wooden, on the wooden, wooden slats of the, of the, of the saloon patio, you know, um, just crazy experiences, but always, you know, Billy, all of us. And even though he was younger, um, because I was 23, uh, Rob Garrison was six days older than me, um, or seven days. I think Rob was born on January 23rd. I was born on the 30th. Um, but Billy was really the youngest, but he was supposed to be, I mean, he was Johnny. He was the one that he was the leader of the group. Yeah he assumed that role and he did it just so naturally and easily. And he was so likable, but we all just got along so well that, you know, it was like camp. And at nighttime, we go to each other's houses. We'd crash on the floor. We'd all hang out together in the morning. We'd all wake up. Come on, let's go to work. Got to go to set. And, and it was literally like camp for three months. But even now, if we get together with Billy, very little has changed when we did our episode of Cobra Kai uh, in season two of Cobra Kai. And we're all sitting there in the bar and we're all sitting at a table. We all looked at each other and it was like, we're all just, we all just kind of like started laughing because our relationships are still the same, if not even better. Yeah. But we were all thrown into that time when we were all just kids having a blast on a set. Mm -hmm. We knew some time had passed. We know we look different. We know we look older, but it was like we never left. It's amazing. That's all that matters. Yeah. Like, the I mean, chemistry the spirit, never left. Yeah. The spirit's still there. You know, it's all still there. We're all still connected. We're all still like brothers, just even more so. Um, Ralph, Ralph is great. Ralph Offset is great. I would have to say when we're doing Karate Kid, and I don't know. Um, I can't say either way whether he was told 
to keep himself separate from us. Mm. Cause some actors will do that. They'll really want to kind of just, you know, they don't want to go be buddy, buddy with us. Yeah. If they're really supposed to, if they're supposed to be this, method this act a little bit. Us. Yeah. Um, but I think that Ralph had so much that he was focusing on because he was the lead in the film. Yeah. He had so much writing on his shoulders, you know, he and, and Pat Morita, they had their own scenes to focus on. He had his every day, whether we were there or not, he had scenes with us or he had scenes with Miyagi. He had a tremendous responsibility. You know, he was a young kid coming out of eight is enough who had been given this role to star in a major motion picture. Um, so when I kind of felt like in between scenes, we talk a little bit, but other than that, like he was always off in his dressing room doing his own thing. Um, you know, I don't think it was the kind of thing, like, I know, like I hear that certain actors like Christian Bale or whoever, it's like, Hey, if they hate you in the film, they're not talking to you in real life. Yeah. Um, Jeremy Irons, you know, someone like that. It's like, you hear that they take these, you know, they live these roles in real life. So if that's what's happening in the movie, that's how they are behaving on set. Or like uh, Betty Davis and Joan Crawford when they did Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Okay, tell me that story. I just know they hated each other. Yeah. <laughs> I learned that because I went to go see that. the new Beverly In the movie cinema. and offset. Yeah. Yeah. In real life, they hated each other. Hey, we're, we're, I, mean, I do have to say it is not easy to work on a project when you hate the person you're working with. No, um, I have been on series and, um, uh, you know, a lot of I've, I've dealt with it a lot where you're yeah. on a show and uh, something happens between the actors and they're just not fond of each other. Fortunately, I haven't been on any series where they hate each other. Yeah. But just like not fans of each other. And there's just very little set in between. Yeah. You know, um, and I just, you know, I just go back to, Hey, everybody just get along because this is mm -hmm. such a gift. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, you know, in the end of the day, you're doing something that millions and millions of people all over the world would kill to try and do. And, you know, I mean, and, you know, millions people, and millions, people, millions and millions of people and some people being like, oh, you know, really a big deal. The entertainment industry is no different than than most. You know, it, it's great to be a doctor. It, it is great to be a doctor, a lawyer, whatever. But it, it's safe to say, I mean, the entertainment industry has always been something that so many people. It just has that, you know, the American dream. Entertainment is just. It's important to so many lives. I mean, throughout the world, people love entertainment. Exactly. And, 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 and um, it's a real, it's an incredible business to be a part of if you can be a part of it. And you're right. You know, millions of people would love to have the job. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And, you know, you've got people in countries and other countries like Europe, you know, I mean, like other countries that watch Hollywood movies and they love it. Like it's their getaway from the real world. And, you know, because and then in general, for them, it's not even it's not even um, what's the word? It's like not even something they can even grasp. Yeah. You know, I get a lot of people who question me for whether they're writing me from 
from the Czech Republic or whatever. And they're like, you know, what's Hollywood like, you know, what's for them, this whole thing is just, it's all very foreign. I mean, I even have cousins who live in New York, you know, who grew, you know, grew up in, in, you know, outside of Syracuse, New York or whatever. And when I talk about um, certain things I'm just doing with my day or some of the people that I'm spending time with, or I'm working with, they're like, it's just foreign to them. It's a whole different, it's yeah. a whole different world. It's a whole different world. And, you know, at the end of the day, it is just a business. Um, mm-hmm. But it's the business of entertainment and it sure is fun to work in. Yeah. I love doing it, man. You know, it's just, you get to live the dream and, you know, I mean, Kellen, Kellen and I, you know, we've lived that dream for so many years. Like we both talked about going to Hollywood, working in film, just like, you know, making something of ourselves and, you know, that ambition that we both have shared has never died. And, you know, it's going to stick with us until, until we get Cobra to the Kai top. never die. That's right. Cobra Kai never dies. Or, or what I like to say, <laughs> Kellen Kai. Um, you know and 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 you're right though uh we're all we're all fortunate to be able to you know be in the business and doing it and you just got to keep doing it and kellen and i've had conversations we talk about people who come out and audition and whether they stick it out or not or you know and some people they just come to this town really just because either some people and i meet I, i i meet these kind of actors a lot you know the young actors in their teens and it's like well why do you want to do this well, because I want to become famous and I want to make money. Yeah. And I'm like, no, you have to do this because you love this yep. business. You have to do this because you love the actual craft of acting. Yep. Exactly. You know, you have to love this because honestly, if you only love it for the money or the stardom, then you're probably going to burn out really quick. But if you yep. bottom line is, if you love this business, this is a business that you just can't be like, okay, I'm going to give it a timeline of four years. And if I don't become a major star or a big working actor in four years, well then, well then you might as well just go because it doesn't happen like that. And this business to me, if you're going to, if you love this business, you're in it for the long haul. Exactly. And you know, like I had mentioned earlier, doesn't matter how big of a budget a project is or how honestly, because we've all worked on small budgets, big budgets, and you know what, just the fun of doing it is what matters the most. I agree with you. And, you know, it's funny because whenever I think of like, what would I want my next acting project to be? You know, I've, I've done so many things. And sometimes I think the thing that kind of interests me most is if someone sent me a small little like independent, like someone from just out of film school is doing their small little movie. Mm-hmm. Just <laughs> something where I can just, have fun with it. Have fun with it. Um, you know, uh, just have a great story to play. Just something that's a really cool idea. I don't care if it's a big, you know, sure, big budget would be nice. But I mean, that's all. Mm-hmm. But if it's just this, you know, if someone's doing a student film. Yeah. Hey, if it's a great piece of tape. Yeah. If it's a piece of work that you can be proud of and be like, wow, that was a real fun role. And and, you know, I'm all about doing stuff like that. So how does that work if you're in SAG and you're trying to do it like a student film, especially at your caliber? I've always I've been curious about you know, that. To be honest with you, I don't know if um, I don't know if there's like a special dispensation for, you know, yeah. if you get someone asks you to do an independent just or what do you call what I say you call it a 
not an independent feature, but um, micro like budget, yeah. low, something for someone from film school. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, because I think I've seen some student film projects. Student I don't know. Films, whether, yeah. You. Yeah. Like student films. Like, I don't know, like either if they're from Long Beach State or Chapman, I think some of them, they get like the SAG, you know, uh, what is it? Contracts. They, the, the SAG contracts. Yeah. They get the SAG contracts to make it a SAG project if they want to get people involved who are union. Sure. Yeah. There's ways that they can go about that. And obviously they're, you know, they're, they're film teachers at school especially if they're going to USC or UCLA or whatever, mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, because they're surrounded by the business. They have ways, I think, of being able to, you know, get those kinds of people. But to me, that's, that's fun because uh, I don't know, just, it just, it'd be nice to have something like that, an independent feature, small little student film or something where you have something great to play mm -hmm. And you can just sink your teeth into it and not feel like the, the pressures of, you know, yeah. all kinds of stuff, but just literally just do really fun, creative work. And have more freedom. Absolutely. Have more freedom and also maybe play something that's a little different, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and use things like that to kind of spread your wings, so to speak. What was it like? That's actually where I think you might get opportunities to play stuff that is a little different than yourself. Yeah. Where, where, you know, your regular SAG TV projects, film projects, they're going to pretty much come at you for the, the, the kind of roles you've always played. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But maybe, you know, it's like student films. Like we really want to get that actor. He's really, really good. You know? Yeah. Let him grow his facial hair. Let him put on glasses. Let him look different. You know, um, I feel like you can get away more, get away with more. Mm -hmm. What was it yeah. like getting your ass handed to you by Mr. Miyagi? <laughs> Mr. Miyagi never handed me my ass. <laughs> <laughs> Sensei Fumio Demura might have. Wait, what but, about, the, isn't there like the one scene where you, you guys are in the skeleton oh, costumes? It's not uh, Pat Morita portraying uh, Mr. Miyagi in that scene. Yes, it's his yes, double. Ellen, we need to school you. Oh, shit. I've seen, I'm not, I've only seen it a few times. My bad. Well, no, no. Whether you've seen it one time or whether <laughs> you've seen it 20 times, it looks like it's Pat Morita who is handing us our asses. Well, the but character. how it was actually shot is there is Sensei Fumio Demura, who is uh, an incredibly gifted, like, you know, 10th degree martial artist doing the film yeah. as Pat's double. So when we come running and we're chasing him to the fence, yeah, and then Miyagi out of nowhere jumps off the trash can over the fence yeah. and onto the ground, that wasn't Pat. No. He lands, boom, you see Pat. Yeah. And then all of a sudden now you go into the action where he's doing everything. Yeah. That's all Sensei Fumio Demara. Yeah, I just meant the character itself, you know. Oh, well. You know. That you didn't say. If we're getting technical here. <laughs> hey, you um, know me. Tony O'Dell is technical. Yeah. Um, <laughs> very technical brain. <laughs> Yeah. Did any of you guys keep those skeleton <laughs> costumes? Well, oh gosh, that's such a sad story. Oh no! Oh, uh, what happened to them? Yeah, Goodwill. 
Goodwill? Really? They actually <laughs> sent them to Goodwill? Come on. So, so they're we probably finished, long gone. We finished the film, oh, and uh, I remember we wanted the costumes. Yeah, of course. And they said, you know, actually, we have to hang on to them uh, for, you know, if there's any kind of possible shooting down the road or any kind of pickups we're going to have to do or anything, mm-hmm. we need to hang on to them. So they're going to go into, like, you know, the archives. So they did. And we heard a few years later that they were sold in a Sony Pictures sale. Oh, oh. So there's no, so there's now, no. I like- don't know if that's true. So I don't necessarily want to to pin that on them, but I will tell you the part that is true. We were not allowed to keep them. We did have to give them away. And I was told that they were sold like a few years later, like I said, in like, you know, when they do those. Like an auction. Studio, not even an auction, just a studio sale. Come on in. We got all these old clothes from, you know, blah, blah, blah. A lot of them usually go to the the thrift store on Magnolia. That's, uh, I forget the name of it. Out of, not out of the closet. It's called, um, that's a wrap. They oh, yeah. have like, you know, all the all the TV shows and the films when they're done, That's and they're and they're literally sure they're done with the wardrobe. It yeah. goes to to that store. Yeah. So I guess the studio had a sale, and we lost which we, we lost those costumes, which is really sad because they were pretty much form fitting. Uh, you know, when we when they made those outfits for us, they measured our chest, our shoulders, around our our, around our chest, our biceps, our arms, our, our thighs. Wow. I mean, so when we put them on, it was like literally putting on a glove. They were the most badass costumes. Yeah. Uh, really ever. Yeah. Um, to this day, I, you know, to this day, I mean, we had Halloween the other night and I must have seen three or four skeletons come to the door. Wow. <laughs> and sometimes I want to say, you know, they know where I live. Shit. <laughs> no, I, but I wanted to say to him, you know, I happen to have a personal connection with that skeleton costume. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and last year actually didn't happen this year, but last year it did happen where a man and his son came to my door. The man had a skeleton and the son was dressed like Hawk from Cobra Kai. And I just knew, and I said to them, tell me about your costumes. And the man says, uh, well, I'm a Cobra Kai from Karate Kid, and my son is Hawk. He plays a Cobra Kai from the new series. And I said, well, and I, I couldn't help myself. I had to say to the man, well, I'm a Cobra Kai. Uh-huh. And he goes, ah. <laughs> and I go, Damn. no. He didn't believe you. <laughs> I am a Cobra Kai. And I go, and your costume is awesome. And he's like, what do you mean? And I go, and I pull up my phone and I go, here. Remember this and little I pull movie? up a photo <laughs> and I go like this. And I go, I'm wow. a Cobra Kai. Wow. <laughs> and I go, this one here, that's me. And the guy's like, it was one of those shameless moments where it's like, are you really going to be that guy who's going to say something 
But I thought, you know what? If these two guys love Karate Kid and Cobra Kai so much. Make their day. Yeah. I can't let them walk away. No, of course not. It's not about me being, you know, an ass. No. Being completely like, hey, look, I'm a, co-, you know. <laughs> Finesse. It's, like it's not like I scream that as I walk, <laughs> as I drive my car down the road, you know. But but these guys came to the door because he loves, you know, and they're father and son and they're dressing up as Karate Kid and Cobra Kai. And I'm like, yo, guys, that's me. And they were like, he's like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? He's like, what are he looks at his son and he's like, what are the odds? What are the odds? And I'm like, where do you guys live? And he's like, oh, we live up this. We live up in the hills, but we take karate down the street. Wow. And I was like, that is really awesome. That is so awesome. And he's like, Hey, can we get pictures with you? And I was like, of course. And then um, he followed me on Instagram and he sent me the pictures later and you got to do stuff like that. That's incredible. So that was pretty incredible. No, it's always cool to just like, you know, brighten up fans days, you know, it just, it makes them so happy. And then they, they can, cause you know, it's something that they they will talk about to other people for years to come. Yeah. And, you know, I have to be honest though, Ed, I was really disappointed. They didn't come back this year. <laughs> well, maybe I mean, just come- to say hi, like, Hey, it's us, the old Cobra Kai guys. And we're not skeletons anymore. We're like the people from squid game, but it's us. We wanted to come by and say, hi. I was just hoping they actually, they would come by. Like maybe they'd make it an annual Man, maybe, annual they, thing. maybe they didn't want to seem like they were stalkers or anything. Yeah, yeah. no, which is understandable. They don't want to like, you know, probably because I know I could imagine like some of them are probably like, okay, this guy is probably, they're probably stalking me now. <laughs> that kind of a thing. But I mean, yeah. hey, regardless, you know, you probably made their day, which is awesome. Well, it made mine too. So that was, there you go. Yeah. That, majors that, too. That was really cool. Yeah. They're not, they're not alone in this. So, so I do have to ask, um, Real quick, tell us about the late Rob Garrison. Mm. Rob was uh, Rob was a great friend. We were like um, we were like brothers. You know, when you experience something like that uh, to that level of success, when you also experience a success together, and you know, you guys will have this. Too, when you've experienced something like being in a series with the same people for five years, um, when or you end up working on a film that that not only takes you three months to work on, uh, but then has this life after the movie's done, you become like family. Um, and we got along so well. Uh, Rob and I, we called ourselves Aquarian brothers because we both had our birthday, we both, you know, have our birthdays in late January. So we called ourselves Aquarium Brothers. Um, We stayed really close throughout the years. We shared a lot in common. Um, And one thing that Rob Rob did is uh, for a period of time, he, he wasn't, didn't really have access to the SAG website and just kind of like, you know, um, let it go. He knew that I was the one who was really into always going on the SAG website, checking to see if there were any Karate Kid residuals or whatever. So it was just constant. Like he'd, you know, sometimes we'd go like a few weeks or a month or two months without chatting uh, because he didn't live here. And uh, then he'd text me and be like, hey, anything coming? And I'm like, hold on, Santa Claus has to check. 
You know? <laughs> yeah. So I would go and I would check the, you know, the SAG residuals portal, you know, and write them back and, you know, and tell them, or once in a while I would check in the morning without him asking. And I would text him and say, Hey, it's me, Mr. Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, what's up, Mr. Santa Claus. And I was like, we have a, you know, there's a residual check coming. So he, he kind of counted on me for that. And, um, he kind of counted on me for that. And, uh, and we shared that and that was great, but you know, he was a great friend. Um, and, uh, to, to answer a lot of people ask, what was it like as he was sick on the set? Rob was not sick on the set. Yeah. He was never sick on the set. And he uh, did not get sick and pass away till a year later. Um, he was made to look sick because in the episode he uh, had cancer in the episode, but he was perfectly healthy and, yeah. and happy. And we all had such a great time when we got to film that episode. Yeah. Was there any kind of rap party for the film? Don't think so. I can't remember. Dino's pizza. <laughs> I, I can't remember, honestly, but um, I can't remember, but I don't, I don't think so. That's crazy. There was a premiere. Yeah. Was there even a premiere? Because I, I remember how I saw it with yeah. John Avildsen, okay. the director, was we all decided when the movie opened in Westwood, Ooh. we were going to go to the, it was the grand opening of this film, Karate Kid. Yeah. And it was in Westwood. And remember Ron and all of us, you know, going in Billy's Jeep and, you know, Billy driving his Jeep, the windows down. Nobody knew who we were, but it was like, oh, these, you know, these, all these guys in this Jeep. And, you know, we, we, um, we got our tickets to the theater. And I don't know if John had talked to the theater people or not, but he was like, we just want to go in to the movie and we want to sit in the back. We want to sit in the very back. Mm-hmm. And I remember us sitting in the movie theater and watching the movie and seeing the reaction of the crowd. Mm-hmm. But then when Ralph kicks him in the nose and he goes down in the tournament, the entire out. crowd of people in the in the film in the theater just jump up and they're like yeah yeah and people were so into it and john avildsen looked at us and goes boys we have ourselves a film that's amazing that's awesome (laughs) still to this day it's like the hair you know raises on my arms um i would have been like crying after if i was in a film that good uh, yeah it still brings tears to my eyes when i talk about it Um, yeah it was such a special night yeah. But I do not remember going to an actual classic Hollywood premiere. I went to the Hollywood premiere of uh, Will Smith and Jaden Smith's uh, version of Karate Kid. Yeah. So I went to the premiere. They were really nice to invite us. Mm-hmm. Will Smith was phenomenal. He was great. He was awesome. Um, and we went to, you know, the screening of that. Um, mm-hmm. I got to meet and hang out with Tom Cruise for a, a short period of time. How was he? Tom Cruise was great. Um, I actually have, have, you know, seen Tom throughout the years at various like parties. I remember I went to a birthday party for Rob Lowe and Rob Lowe was dating Melissa Gilbert. And, you know, we're all in our young twenties going to each other's birthday parties. And I went to Rob's birthday party 
and Tom Cruise was at his, was at his birthday party. So <laughs> it's just something that, you know, Hey, that was just part of my everyday life. You know, that's crazy. Um, so, so I met him before and, uh, and he was there and then, um, Will Smith had like a private, private party area for his group after the film. And, um, and, and he, you know, had us come into his private area and, and we got to hang out with, uh, Jackie Chan and, and we got to see Jerry Weintraub there, which was amazing because yeah. Jerry Weintraub, you know, such a huge executive, amazing executive producer. Um, Jerry Weintraub was, was incredible. And, you know, and uh, he was, he was our executive producer of Karate Kid. So again, when John, when um, John Weintraub saw us at the premiere for the new Karate Kid, he looked at us and he's like, my boys, <laughs> you know? So Marty Cove did that, you know, and, and Jerry Weintraub uh, did that when he saw us at that time. Um, at that screening. So, That's so, so cool. yeah, That's that, was awesome. a, that was, that was a fun night. So when you came back for karate kid two, uh, did you know that you were only going to be working for the beginning scene ahead of time? Or did you find out upon receiving the script? Well, I knew pretty much from seeing the script that we were in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't like, we didn't really know when karate kid, you know, one ended what our involvement was going to be in Karate Kid 2. But then when, you know, they sh- sent the script to our house and I still have those, yeah. those scripts, actually, those originals. Um, yeah, Kellen hasn't seen those, but- Can I smell them? Um, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, you can, you can hug them, you can <laughs> them, whatever you need to do, but I'm not letting them out of my hands. Um, but- uh, yeah, that's when we found out we were in the beginning of the second film and we we're like, cool, far out. Awesome. How long awesome. into the whole uh, success of the first one did you know that there was even going to be a sequel? Pretty quick. Maybe a year. Oh, wow. Okay. It's kind of hard to remember, really. Yeah. Because uh, it's just so long ago. I mean, it's um, mm-hmm. 38 years ago, 37, yeah. 38 years ago. It's hard to remember uh, some of the things. There's there's cert- some certain things that just stand out like they were yesterday, like, you know, going to see that movie in Westwood with the guys and John yeah. Robinson, you know, um, certain things that moments just stand, stand out, out like crazy. Yeah. yeah. And then other moments I'm like, can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> Did you um, foresee like, you know, Karate Kid turning into a franchise that became beloved by so many people, like especially people who are fans of the eighties. No. And I, well, I certainly didn't see the, the time of the reboot uh, taking place, but I guess in this industry, almost, you know, everything is cyclical. Um, Everything comes around. Uh, You know, when you see a film now, you're like, well, that's just kind of like that movie is kind of like a blend of top gun with blah, blah, blah. You know, after a while, it kind of gets hard to create new ideas. And a lot of times people get ideas for films by blending a little bit of this film and a little bit of this film, you know, to come up with new stuff. I certainly didn't expect um, 
never expect, never, never actually saw them doing reboots the way they have. I mean, when Head of the Class came along, it was kind of like our present day version of Welcome Back, Cotter. Mm -hmm. But we were gifted students, so that was the difference. They were sweat hogs. We were we were gifted students. Mm -hmm. But now they're literally just taking the series and literally rebooting them. Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't expect them to do it in this way where they literally just decided to almost pick up the movie where the movie left off and pick up these characters where they left off 37 years ago. And it's like, okay, so what would have happened to Johnny in this amount of time? What happened to uh, Daniel in this amount of time? What happened to Jimmy? Where did they, where did they, based on what they were dealing with then, where, where did they go and where are they now? Which I thought was incredibly brilliant. Yeah. Uh, by the executive producers and creators, you know, mm -hmm. Josh, John and Hayden are just, they couldn't have, nobody, I don't think anybody could have created a, a just a, a better, like, okay, this is the continuum of, of where they're at now. It's so cool. And then with the music and everything, just to still look, still give it the same vibe. Yeah. As the as the movies, but it's being done as a series, and <laughs> and really just as successful. Yeah, they just, uh, they brought you back as a married man with kids in Cobra Kai and gave Jimmy a nice little return. How was your experience like returning to that familiar world when it was like four decades later? It was so awesome, and I was really grateful to uh, the executive producers for not only giving me the opportunity, but for definitely giving Jimmy more of a voice um yeah. there sometimes has been you know social media banter oh yeah tony odell he played jimmy but jimmy didn't have any lines and jimmy didn't do <laughs> he didn't he wasn't really a cobra kai he was and and you know and i find myself sometimes doing a deep dive into social media going yes i did well, i for have people you know, for people who don't know which which scenes are the, the scenes with the lines um for anybody that are trying up, to up, up, when we're up on the cliff and i'm like hey i thought they broke up hey she did he yeah. you know you know there's that or at the fence we're dressed in skeletons so when i say yeah, give him a that. front kick johnny yeah well who the heck said that nobody knows we're all dressed as skeletons we all look <laughs> the same yeah, um, yeah. You know, and there's so much ad-libbing throughout the film and stuff um yeah. as well uh and i just i just stopped trying to um clarify yeah if someone actually, you know, does say, I'll sometimes tell them, but when it's when people are like, you know, well, actually we'll watch and see people having arguments on yeah. social media. No, he did. Yes, he did. No, he didn't. I know for a fact he didn't have. An, and then I'm trying to, and I'm like, yes, I did. You know? <laughs> and it's like, you, you say so much just with your expressions in the film and you're in like every scene. And, you know, and, and Billy, Billy's like, dude, don't get, and, you know, Billy's funny because yeah. <laughs> even though he's younger than me, I still, Billy's like, dude, come on, don't, don't, don't get involved in that stuff, you know? And then these guys come along and they're like, hey, we are going to make Jimmy, we're going to have him be married. He has a couple of kids. Yeah. Um, we're going to give you some great lines. And then I looked at the script and I'm like, wow, I've got yeah. some great lines. There's actually a couple of scenes that did not end up in the actual final episode of Cobra Kai. Um, 
because, you know, they had a lot of stories to service mm-hmm. and sometimes not everything makes it in, in the amount of time they need it in. But, um, yeah. but, uh, oh, there was one scene that was absolutely hysterical when we <laughs> sneak Tommy out of a hospital. Do you guys know this? Yeah, I do. He you does. Know he does. I still got to watch him. Okay. There's a scene where we sneak Tommy or we basically say, we're taking him out of here. Yeah. We all go walking down the stairs and there is my wife's soccer van, soccer mom. <laughs> van. And they're like, this is what we're leaving in. <laughs> and he said, uh, hey, Jim, I think one of them said, hey, Jimmy, we said show up with um, a pussy wagon, not a wagon for pussies. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> excuse the French, but um, and I and I was like, "Hey, wait a minute! I mean, come on, you know, this is this is a this is a great car. It's very safe." Yeah, and. And uh, Ron's character, Ron Thomas's character says, hey, I'm a pastor and even God hates this car. <laughs> yeah. It was really a great scene and 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 uh, it got cut. That's and then, uh, and then Ron and I had a little bit of a conversation uh, at the fire um, when they had the fire scene at the end where um, where Billy and Rob are having that really great seen by the fireplace um, outside and Ron and I had a quick little funny uh, scene right before that. So, you know, sometimes that happens. They don't all end up, but um, they certainly gave me a lot to do. Uh, the fight was a blast. Yeah. It was my idea that when he threw the punch and I punched him back and he doubled over that I looked at my hands like, holy crap, I still got it. And then went back to grabbing him and shoving him into the bar. So. Yeah, so. no. And I actually wanted to ask about that. Did you do your own stunts for like the fight scene as well? I did. You did? Yeah. because I, I did. I'm, they had I'm, a stunt guy there who was dressed in all my wardrobe who was ready to go. And you were and like, nah, I got this. Practicing it. Huh? <laughs> you were like, nah, I got this. <laughs> uh, not necessarily. I was like. Let me see what I can do. I said, first, tell me what it is you want me to do. So they're like, okay, like he's going to come at you. You're going to block him. You're going to go for a punch, you know? And I'm like, okay, in between that time when he's doubled over, can I go like this? And they go, sure. You know, we'll show it to the guys and see if they like it. They loved it. They're like, okay, then once he comes up, you're going to grab him. You're going to take him. You're going to throw him into the bar. He's down. Then you're going to notice that, you know, uh, that that, um, Bobby is over there. And the guy's taking him out. And that's when you're going to pick up the chair and you're going to crack it over the guy's back. Um, so they basically watched me do it a few times and they said, okay, we're going to film it once. And then we'll see if we need, you know, your, your stunt guy to step in and do it again. And I did it. And they're like, that was great. Do another take. So I did a second take and they're like, we're all good print. Move on. There you go. I, looked, I looked at my stunt double. I was like, Sorry. <laughs> Check the gate. We're good. Yeah. yeah. No, I, Interestingly no, I, enough, you know, those chairs, like the chair that I broke over that guy's back. Yeah. Because I come in at the towards the end of the scene, mm-hmm. the bar fight, and I take that chair and I crack it over the guy's back. 
that chair is just made, it's a very, very, granted, they're not thick wooden chairs like the one I'm sitting in, you know, they're, they're made of balsa wood and they're scored in a way that they're going to break easy. So the first time I went to go do my very first take, no one told me, don't have a big backswing before you swing it forward. Yeah. Because they're so light that any kind of drastic movement is going to make it break. So you want your drastic movement to be going forward. And when you hit him, not, you know, when you take something back, you always take it back. And then, so in the first take, I went to go take it like this and the chair already actually started breaking apart (laughs) before that I go and take it through. The chair is kind of like already falling apart before I hit him in the back. They're like, wow, he's like the incredible Hulk. (laughs) This guy's breaking the chair, just picking it up. Um, So on the second one, they said, do us a favor. When you take the chair, grab the chair, set it here. Don't fling it back, set it here, then go. And then the whole chair just explodes on his back. And they're like, yes, Perfect. that is exactly right. It's like the, sh- it's like the sugar, the, the sugar glass bottles too. It's like, you know, don't crush it so hard. Hold it lightly. Yeah. If you're holding it, don't crush it until you slam <laughs> it on the person's head. Yeah, don't, don't grip it so tight. Just hold it lightly. Then boom. Yeah, just like it's that. made of sugar. <laughs> Firmly grasp it. Yeah. No, I, I like uh, asking about stunt work and fight choreography and film to see if who, if, some people like to do their own fight scenes or if they like to get somebody else to stand in for them. I like to do my own, you know, I've always liked to do my own fight scenes. When I did the series other world, I did a lot of my own stunts. Um, um, I have two projects where I actually um, had guns. Um, One was a guest starring role in strike force. I never fired it. I was literally just um, basically mentally losing it. And, um, and holding a gun up to, you know, uh, somebody who had attacked my girlfriend, but in chopping mall, I actually did, you know, uh, work with a gun and, and had blanks and all that. And, um, and so, yeah, I've always tried to do all my own stuff and my own stunts and, and that's awesome. It's been, it's been fun. And you're still doing it. So the big question here is this, if you can answer it, Will we see you back for season four? Oh, shit. Cannot answer it. All right. Nope. Fair enough. I can answer that there will be a season four. Yes. We know that season four. Not that much longer now, right? December. December. Yeah. December. And Um, uh, yeah. So I know of a few things that are going to be happening that that are going to be pretty crazy. Well, they've already revealed Terry Silver from Karate Kid 3 is back. And that is something that a lot of fans are stoked to see. I'm stoked to see it personally. Like, like just like, I just love how the show has so many throwbacks to the original trilogy. It's just like it. But I mean, come on, let's face it. We need more OG Cobra Kai. We yeah, do. like what about Hillary Swank? Is she coming this back? This series is called Cobra Kai. <laughs> I know there's a new generation, but there's got to be more old Cobra Kai. Yeah. And the, the, what's the other character? from? He was the other Cobra Kai in Karate Kid 3 he f- who fought with Crease and Silver. Uh, the character Mike. Are you talking about Sean Kanan? Yes, Sean Kanan. Yeah, yes. Like people have been wanting to see him come back too. 
And honestly, I hope he comes back too because his character yeah. is just so ruthless. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know what their what their thoughts are on on who they're bringing back or what. They all keep it pretty tight lipped until you find out that you are or they are. Or, yeah. Or or whatever. Um, but they know what they're doing. That's what I liked about season three was like you know they kept it tight lipped, and then when we saw the flashback scenes with uh, Terry Silver. Like uh, in Vietnam, we were like, oh, my God, it's Terry Silver. And then when he creases on the phone with Silver, we were like, no way. It was just like the, it was like the ultimate cliffhanger. Yeah, had. who happens to also be the nicest guy. I'm actually friends with he and his wife, and we've been friends. I mean, we, we're old Gold's gym members. Thomasine Griffin? If I could, yes. If I could tell you, I actually was uh, partly responsible for naming their one of their sons. Um, one of their sons' name is Eamon. And one night, one night uh, I was sitting there talking with Thomas and Mary. And they're like, we're trying to come up with a name for our son. And, and we want, I'm like, well, what do you want? And they're like, we want a strong name. It kind of starts with maybe an A, you know, kind of like an A kind of sound. And I'm like, you know, it doesn't start with an A, but it sounds like one. There's this really great name and it's, the name is Eamon. And they're like, Eamon, how's that spelled? Great name. And they actually named their son Eamon. That's awesome. Um, So I've known Thomas and and his wife, Mary Paige Keller, literally for probably 30 years, because um, I think they were still they were going to Gold's even when he did Karate Kid. We've been friends. We've been friends that long. So. Um, he's, awesome he's such a great antagonist on film. Uh, Kel- Kellen, you've seen him before. He was the the head vampire in John Carpenter's Vampires. Oh, okay. That's yeah. He's the 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 villain in Karate Kid Three. Who's going to be oh, back uh, for Cobra Kai season four? Hell yeah! But I have to say, such the nicest guy. Yeah, it's usually the greatest antagonists on film. They're just the nicest guy ever in the real world. That's what's cool about it. Yeah. Angus Scrim. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess you could say I kind of played uh, a jerk in Karate Kid, but not mm-hmm. really because he was kind of like the, you know, the kind of young kind of wannabe or whatever. He <laughs> was just always in the back. Like, guys. And then in, in Head of the Class, I definitely did play kind of like, uh, you know, this. Uh, the bookworm. This, this, this yeah. preppy kind of uh, this preppy asshole. Because he yeah. said a lot of things that were pretty, uh, that were pretty harsh. Um, he just didn't know. He just didn't know any better. So, so uh, after Karate Kid, you had your most iconic role yet in the world-renowned horror film *Evils of the Night*. <laughs> I know you don't consider this to be a career-defining moment, but how was your experience on this one? Short. <laughs> Short. Uh, the I, mean, movie I died like... in the beginning of the movie. I think the <laughs> coolest thing for me was the fact that it starred like John Carradine, Aldo Ray, Neville Brand, yeah. Umar, and Tina Louise. Uh, I was like, oh, cool. I get to be in a movie that's with Ginger from Gilligan's Island. Yeah, that's that was really cool. Um, <laughs> you know, I start the movie off uh, erotic, you know, frolicking and frolicking in the water with my girlfriend which yeah. was actually filmed in Tapia Park here in uh, in Mal- going through Malibu Canyon. Oh, wow. There's the ta- uh, what's it, uh, Tapia Creek or something Creek. We were in that water, the water, uh, we were in that water till like four in the morning and God. the water was about 47 degrees and I got pneumonia after shooting that film. Come on. 
You look real comfortable in the movie, though. <laughs> they make it look call like it, you're all call it acting. Them. Yeah, acting, <laughs> acting. That's why they call it acting. Uh, I got pneumonia um, after doing that film. Yeah. Um, and it was short lived. It was literally that night of shooting there. And then the night that I I get lasered by Tina Louise's laser ring, which was off of Lions <laughs> Avenue going up the uh, the five freeway towards Magic Mountain. Yeah, and it happened right there, just off in the in the dirt, right off the freeway. <laughs> um, that was such a silly death scene. I loved it. But yeah, Evils of the Night, you know that 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 came and went. I'd say Chopping Mall was something I was much more proud of. Yeah, yeah. of course. Uh, what was the direction for when she killed you? Because you made like a very hilarious but believable iconic fall to the ground. Was when it? She kills you. I I loved it. Was it just kind of like? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. they're like okay Literally. you're running through the field you are wearing <laughs> your swim trunks which were my own swim trunks yeah you're running through the swim trunks <laughs> and you turn and it's tina louise she lasers you and you basically just take it and just start <laughs> shaking and vibrating and just let it take you down that scene killed me. I loved it. I watched it specifically for this wonderful interview. You know, there are certain films that I've never really told my family about. And that was one of them. Like, I'll be like, mm, don't watch that. Don't watch this one. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and uh, that was one that I just never really spoke of. Yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, it happens. Wasn't one of my my brighter moments. I think I would have told them more about Chopping Mall, but I felt like yeah. just because in the movie there is some nudity in the beginning or whatever, and if they have yeah. their kids with them, um, that's not something I would have wanted them to watch with their kids. Yeah. Um, and I think at the time that might have, Chopping Mall might have been something that they looked at and went, oh, gosh, well, that was bad. But little did they know that now it's just looked at as this great, uh, classic, cheesy eighties, yeah, horror classic, yeah, B movie love, yeah. <laughs> um, so now for the real iconic horror movie you've done. I know you're modest, but Chopping Mall is a cult classic of B movie heaven. This is literally the next question, so this worked out perfectly. Um, so it was originally called Killbots. Uh, being the better title with Chopping Mall, what exactly prompted the change and whose idea was it? What prompted the change? You know, I think just in marketing, um, I don't know if it was Roger Corman uh, who owned this, mm -hmm. you know, the production company at the time. Yeah. If they just felt like, in, and I know Jim Wynorski, our director, definitely has the story on that. Yeah, um, I just felt like they felt like Killbots was not something. He told the story, I think, actually, when I went to the New Beverly. Yeah. And um, he told the story, and I can't remember how it went, but something like Roger Corman was like, this is just, Killbots is just not the title for this movie. Yeah. And there was like a janitor or somebody who was sweeping up the theater was they were talking. Yeah. And he was like, well, it's about a mall. Yeah. There's a bunch of, why don't you call it chopping mall? You're right. That is what it was. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. <now. laughs> and Roger Corman's like, that's it. Is that why Dick Miller came into the picture playing the janitor? Because kinda of makes that. Sense. It kind of makes would, sense. That almost makes sense. I don't know. But chopping mall, they're like, yeah. Yeah. Where 
where shopping costs you an arm and a leg, you know? And then it was like everything half off. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's, it was perfect, honestly, perfect marketing. Um, but yeah, we actually met at that new Bev screening. Um, that's where we originally met, uh, which is Qu- Quentin Tarantino's theater that he owns in Los Angeles. Were you surprised by the fantastic turnout that was there that night? I'm always surprised. It was sold out. That was crazy. Yeah, I'm always surprised. I just think it's cool. And um, I just love seeing that there are so many people out there that 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 um, love the film. Yeah. And it's just so fun to actually see the audience just react the way they do when they're watching the movie. Yeah. Um, it's not quite the same as like going to watch people who do Rocky Horror Picture Film. Yeah. Who, who go to see Rocky Horror Picture Movie and, you know, and then Throw stuff. they all know all the lines and they're throwing stuff and doing yeah. stuff and what's really audience participation. Yeah. Um, but it's still funny to see how people react to, you know, certain scenes or lines. So I got a question. Now that you, you know about the whole Rocky Horror thing where they're throwing rice and stuff, there's a, there's a little movie called The Room. Have you ever seen that? Yes. Oh, you have. Okay. I was going to say they're, they're hosting a screening of that in December with Tommy in person and people throw spoons. I'm sure you know about that. That I don't know. Oh. I do. Yeah. But you know about the movie, right? Like it's like, I a do super... know about the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Basically there's a, there's like picture frames throughout the movie in the house where there's spoons on, on the picture frames. And whenever that pops up in the movie, people <laughs> have handfuls of plastic spoons that they throw in the audience. And that is like the whole time you're watching this thing. So yeah, I don't know if that sounds like fun to me. It's crazy. <laughs> it's absolutely buck wild, but it's pretty it's, funny. It's different. You know, you go to your average screening, then it's just like <laughs> you sit down, you watch a movie, that's it. But this is like a kind of like Rocky Horror Picture Show where there's audience interaction. Yeah. Audience I, participation. I brought my dad to see that a couple of years ago in Buffalo, and we—I had never seen the movie before, and this was before this, the the uh, disaster artist came out. So we just went in there blind watching it, and we got welted with plastic spoons the whole movie. <laughs> the, the most classic uh, audience participation I think I've now gone to to date is, and it was a different kind of audience participation, not where they knew lines, yeah, not where they threw spoons. But um, in Burbank, we had a, um, they were showing the movie, The Greatest Showman. Yeah. yeah. With, um, you know, Hugh Jackman and uh, Kayla Settle and Zendaya. Amazing. And they had a screening of it at AMC. We got word that they were going to do a screening of it. Mm -hmm. But um, so I'm looking. Is that your dog there? Oh yeah, it's a friend of mine's dog watching oh. over. Yeah, I was like, "What is that? Is that a furry animal?" <laughs> <laughs> um, so we were we were told go to the movie theater because the dancers in the movie are going to go. Yeah, Zendaya is going to go. Mm-hmm. Kayla Settle is going to go. Wow. And the director's going to go. And it was one of those things where the movie, people in the movie theater did not know that people from the movie were sitting in the movie theater. 
There were a few people that I remembered like turned around and I'm sitting here and Zendaya was a few seats over and yeah. they like would look back and they'd be like, you know, and you'd see them whisper like, I think that's Zendaya back there, you know? Yeah. The part that was amazing yeah. was when their parts came up like Kayala Settle, she literally st- stood up and started singing her entire number to the film. Oh my God. And then the dancers had like uh, the, the, uh, the scene in the bar where they're like, um, I don't remember the over. And they just like the whole whole bar is dancing. All of the dancers got up in the center aisle of the theater. All of them literally got up and literally went through all of the dance numbers. Wow. That were in the movie. And then Zendaya had her scene with Zac Efron when she was singing the, the one on the tight when she was on the, the trapeze yeah. and she had her song, uh, her solo with or her, her song with Zac Efron. She literally stood up and she, she, you know, was, she sang from the movie. So that to me was a cool audience participation. No, that's incredible. Wasn't there a time where you went to a, a movie with Zendaya and Tom Holland from Spider-Man? Oh yeah. Uh, we actually did. We went to go see a quiet place together. Yeah, That's awesome. because we all really kind of dug it. And uh, and that was cool. Um, how, yeah. how, how does one how does one sneak into a movie when they're of that caliber where you just like I don't think them- honestly, when you go to movies, when you go to a movie theater that they're actually expecting to see anybody. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't think even if you went to Beverly Hills to go see a movie, you're you know, you never yeah. know really, really quite where you're going to where certain actors live or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but you certainly don't go to a movie and expect to see those actors, No, yeah. you know, at a movie theater. So I think it's one of those things where literally you put on a baseball cap, you know, uh, you know, you, you put on a pair of glasses or whatever, and you, or a hoodie and you just like walk in just like a casual day, yeah. especially us if we're like wearing a pair of sweats yeah. and a baseball cap. Yep. You're kind of a little incognito and you kind of might be the person that you exchange tickets with. They might kind of glance and be like, but you know, if you're not made up, if you're not done up or whatever, and you just look like everybody else. Yeah. A lot of times people, you can walk right by and people don't, you know, they don't have a clue. Yeah. But it is when you do engage someone who's taking the tickets and they look at you like, well, that looks like Zendaya. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that looks like Tom Holland. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. What are the, you know, what's going on here? <laughs> That's all usually funny. I, I will have to say that after we did go to the screening for greatest showman, yeah. that by the end of the movie, it was very obvious to everybody in the theater that the, you know, everyone was there. Some of the cast was there. Hugh wasn't there, but some yeah. of the cast was there. All the dancers were there. And at the end, everybody stood up and everybody was clapping. And of course, you know, they wanted to take pictures with, with everyone and everyone did. Which theater was this at again that this happened? It was the, um, you know, the AMC uh, theater. And it's it was the one that's right near um, In-N-Out Burger. Uh, oh, the small one. Oh, AMC yeah. Six? yeah. The, the one that's kind of like. That was called the, the North, that's called the North Six. There's, uh, there's wow. the 16. There's the Media 8 in the theater. In I the mean, in the, in the mall. Yeah. In the shopping mall. And then there's <laughs> one in the North six and it's wow. in the North six is where we saw it. That's surprising actually. Wow. Cause usually 16 is where I see. Like, that's also where we saw up. a quiet place. Really? So uh, I that's... really kind of dig the North six because it's kind of like Perfect. There's a lot of theaters and it's kind of small. Yeah. I like the way I would like the way the, the seats sit. 
No, that makes sense now because this whole time I'm thinking you guys went to the 16, but yeah, the six, you could be Will Smith walking in there and I, I bet you could dodge people easily. Yeah, no, it was definitely a lot more incognito. Yeah, yeah you're right because the way you go into the six is just kind of like you're in the parking down, lot. Yeah. And you literally just go right to the front door and you go right down the stairs and you're right in the theater. Yeah, it's, it's really so It all kind of happens really quick. It's not like you're going to go watch, oh, let's all go watch it at the um, yeah. At Universal. Yeah. Same with, same with Burbank airport. We were talking about this recently too. It's like, I don't, I don't understand why actors fly out of LAX cause they're just going to get hounded by paparazzi Burbank. It's like you walk in, you go through security and you're at your gate within 10 minutes. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. I mean, it's just yeah. the best. Um, so I heard there were hardly any issues with the shooting schedule on chopping mall and the production went rather smoothly. You guys shot the picture mostly at night, right? All at night. But yeah. So, uh, that's Only at night. so literally starting filming at like eight o'clock in the morning, we wrap at eight in the morning and you're yeah. putting aluminum foil on all your windows. So all your windows in your bedroom are completely aluminum foiled. Mm-hmm. You just tuck it all in on the edges. Yeah. It makes your room perfectly black and you try to go to sleep at nine o'clock in the morning and you wake up around four or five o'clock yeah. in the early evening to have breakfast. Insane. Yeah. So like, you know, and I am someone who really prides myself on sleep. Yep. (laughs) I love my sleep. Uh, So it was, it's a real adjustment to go to, you know, literally staying up every single night. Oh yeah. That's hard. And then you're messed up on weekends because then on weekends, what do you do is now you filmed until you know, on a Friday night, you have filmed until eight o'clock in the morning. So you get home on a Saturday. You have Saturday day, you sleep in bed, you wake up Saturday night. But now, you know, do you sleep again Saturday night? Or do you stay up all night and sleep on Sunday to stay on that to stay on that routine? Yeah. Or do you stay on that routine and stay up on Saturday night, you know, and sleep on Sunday afternoon? Yeah. You have to try and get on it and stay on it. It's, it's not easy. I wouldn't really know because I don't really sleep. I am a vampire. Yes, I do <laughs> kind of know that about you. Um, you won't be able to get away with that forever, but good luck. Yeah. <laughs> well, I made it a quarter of a century so far, so we'll see. There you go. Yeah. You know, it's the next. 75 years that let me tell you something up until 25 or 30 it's all it's all just so easy the muscles are all so flexible yeah uh and then you know after 30 your body is you know 30 35 is when things change yeah wonderful (laughs) yeah so what was it like having to transition from being like that tough antagonistic character to being like a bit of that Dweebish kind of character. Ferdy. <laughs> Ferdy. Yeah. Ferdy. Are you talking about Ferdy or are you talking Ferdy. about Alan? Ferdy. 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 Yeah. Ferdy. But yeah. Both on that matter. Yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah. But Ferdy was, Ferdy was the ultimate nerd. Um, Ferdy was just really, he, he was just fun. Um, just a little uptight little asshole. You know? <laughs> just this uptight little nerd. You know, come on, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to mess up my uncle's furniture store, you know. <laughs> um, 
it was fun. I always liked being able to have the opportunity to play uh, different, different sides of myself or different things, different qualities of myself that I could bring to a role. Yeah. Maybe there's a part of Tony that wanted to be kind of like one of the tag alongs and be, you know, one of the bad guys. Yeah. I was never going to be that, but I certainly, there are times in my life where I wanted to be one of the cool, one of the cool guys. And um, there are parts of me that have always been a little bit um, nerdy and quirky. And um, so it was fun to be able to bring those qualities to, to Ferdy, uh, yeah. the, the kid who worried too much. You know, I grew up in an Italian Catholic family where, you know, uh, you know, if you didn't worry, you weren't normal. Um, just worrying was just something, you know, you always, you know, always kind of did. And so, you know, as a kid, I think I was a worrier. So it was kind of really easy for me to play Ferdy and be that, you know, that kind of naive kind of hasn't really been around the block kind of, I got to protect my uncle's furniture store. Come on, you guys, we got to play by, you know, come on, you guys. No, we can't do that. You know? Yeah. Cause like, I, I kind of grew up. With that I same. was always the, I can't do that to my friends in real life. Come on, you guys know you shouldn't drive the car more than five miles an hour over the speed limit, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I noticed that about like, you know, your career as an actor, you're very, you're much like a chameleon. Like you're able to jump from one personality to another with these characters, which is impressive too. Well, thanks. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I've had the opportunity. Um, you know, I'm hoping down the road that who knows, maybe get the opportunity to really do something very different. Um, like I said, grow a beard, put some glasses on, be a bum. Um, it would be, it'd be fun to just do something even, even more different than what I've done. So, but I always find it interesting to be able to dive in and, and um, sometimes think of a particular person that I might know that that I can draw from, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's someone I've seen on screen or someone I know in real life, mm -hmm. you know, and you, and you try and bring those qualities to the character. So the film, the film was shot at the Sherman Oaks Galleria in Los Angeles. Uh, I heard that place doesn't really look the same as it did in the movie, but are there any remnants that can match up if we were to visit? I don't know. Let's go and find out. Let's do it. <laughs> I do a I lot was, of those filming locations. The videos. parking lot's the same. It is. Is it? Yeah. Parking structure is the same. It's just that whole mall used to be interior. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like an interior mall and it was all opened up and now and it's an exterior mall. Yeah. So if we go walking through there, I can't really, there might be a part that I can look at and say to you, okay, no, this is, you know, this is, this is the old part of the mall. Mm -hmm. um, but it's really hard when I walk through there to really tell what part was or what part was the part that was inside and what parts outside, you know, mm -hmm. there was it's no changed. outside. It's changed so drastically. It's not like a completely it's like an outlet mall. Cause I was at the 24 hour fitness there recently, like about a month ago. And it's like unrecognizable compared to, cause it was also used for commando and fast times at Richmond high as well. Ooh, really? Yeah, it was, it was remember where Arnold swings from like the, uh, like the like the thing or whatever and he lands on the elevator that's the same exact elevator that uh that they planted that like bomb in like is the, that like, where the road flare? was vernon wells a part of this or no 
Yeah. Well, he wasn't in that scene, but okay. like he was, it was where he's Arnold's. I, I don't think it was Arnold. I think it was Peter Kent as double, but he went swinging and then he landed on the elevator and then the whole shootout happened. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Commando's so it, good. I got to revisit yeah. that one. And then Fast Times at Richmond High, the, almost the whole movie, the interiors of the mall is like there at the Sherman Oaks Galleria. But like, yeah, like it's like, and like I remember because I think I I had like the DVD of Fast Times, like the release of it and like from like 2003. And when they were re-showing like the updated locations and all that, it like was showing like what it looked like in like early 2000. I think they were demolishing the Sherman Oaks Mall and they were going to originally build office buildings there, I guess. But I guess they made they just made a whole entirely new mall. Yeah, I'd have to go back and I would probably be able to just like stand there and go, OK, wait a minute. This part here, you know, it's outside, but this part here was originally part of some of it that was inside, you know, I would, I would probably have a better, a better clue um, standing in the space. I do know that, you know, I remember the walk very well of going from the parking structure Mm -hmm. and walking into walking towards the mall. Yeah. um, That walk is the same. But the part where you then enter the mall and where the mall begins and ends and or be, began and where it ended and all, I don't even know anymore because it's yeah, just yeah. open. Yeah. Before filming, did you ever hang out at the Sherman Oaks Mall? At the Sherman Oaks Mall? I can only imagine. Gallo- what it was Sherman like. Oaks Galleria? Yeah, yeah. The Galleria. Like, yeah. When, I can only imagine what it was like in its prime. It looked like such an amazing place to go to. Yeah. yeah. No, we, uh, we, you know, um, we hung out there uh, a lot. Uh, so it was fun to be there and then that changed and then it be, and then, you know, down the road, then we had the Sherman Oaks fashion square. So that was a different place. And that's yeah. where kind of, I don't really, you know, go to really the gallery anymore. Yeah. It's kind of sad to see, but malls are pretty much on their, are, are on their way out. They're on their last yeah. legs. It seems like in America right now. Yeah. Which is kind of unfortunate because I really miss hanging out there and going to stores and, you know, especially the video stores that used to be in some of them. Oh, Bummer. I miss, <laughs> miss those days. Yeah. Um, so how exactly were the robots operated? Was that like with a remote control or? Um, there was a guy with a remote control, I believe. That's how I, that's what I can remember. There was somebody there who did, did control them. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. So when the, the first two like, protector bots first pursued you and like the rest of the cast, like when they, I think when they broke through like the glass and all that. So would you guys rehearse like, like where like they would set up a squibs before filming. So you guys would know where to run. Uh, Oh yeah. I'm sure that was all worked out. We had, you know, they told us where the squibs were and um, they told us where those were and, you know, where all the blasts would take place and what was going to happen. And if something was going to be, you know, crashing or falling down. Um, I remember falling through that glass table. Um, you know, that was great. I'm, I'm plugging my computer in. Oh, no, no worries. No, no worries. That's you're fine. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to make sure that, that, uh, we didn't all of a sudden just disappear. Yeah. No, yeah. Good. But, but yeah, the, they were always really clear. It's like where the squibs were, where things were going to break, what they were going to do. Um, you know, when they handed me my Smith and Wesson, you know, you know, okay, it's, you know, it's got live rounds in it. It's definitely, you know, and they, we never even 
touch them until they were like, okay, they're getting ready to shoot. All right, guys rolling. All right. Then when we were rolling, they would hand us the guns, you know, whatever. And they say, okay, now when we start and say action, then you bring the gun up or you have your lines or whatever. Yeah. Um, all right. And then they, they'd yell, you know, they'd yell cut. All right, guys, slowly, you know, point them down. Uh, everything was always monitored. Uh, so we were always very aware as to, you know, um, any of the special effects or things that were going to happen. They made safety a priority on the set, which is good. Safety was a total priority. Good. Yeah, safety good. was a total priority. I remember that specifically. We're like, okay, you know, we're not even, this is what you're going to do. And they would eventually, like before the scene, you know, our our special effects guy or a prop guy would say, okay, this is the gun I'm going to show you here. It's completely open. You can see there is no, there are no guns here. I can show you right now, click, boom, shoot it and do it a couple of times. He's like, there are no, it's, it's empty. There's nothing in the chamber, you know, it's completely here. So now that I've shown you here, I want you to feel the gun. I want you to feel the weight of the gun. I want you to check it out. I want you to open it. I want you to look at it. So I at least kind of had an idea as to what it felt like. And then he said, okay, we're not going to be handing this back to you until we have blanks in it. Yeah. And then that's not going to be until we yell rolling. And we know that everything is clear. There's nothing in front of you and we're going to hand them to you. And then you guys keep them in front of you. We also knew that there was nothing in front of us. Yeah, and then yeah. they would roll, we would do it. And then they would say, okay, cut, step in. The guys would come in say, you know, point your guns down or whatever we would. And they'd come and they'd take them. And so it was pretty controlled. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad knowing how things are nowadays. Yeah. And unfortunately, how things have gone. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I'm glad that, I'm glad that, uh, that the, that those, you know, projects that I've done where guns were involved, that they were handled well. Yeah. And I have too. And, you know, I felt, I knew like when I saw like there was an armorer who put safety as a main priority, I felt safe on that set. He, he would train everybody. He would train us like, and, you know, they would tell us about safety. They'd say, when we yell, when we, the second we say cut, you put the rifle up against the wall. I'm like, yes, sir. Like you do what you're told. It's all about making everybody feel safe, giving strict rules and, you know, everything goes right. But, you know, it's, I guess it's just all about responsibility. And there's no and, room for error. Yeah, not at all. I mean, there's with, no room for error. And unfortunately, you know, we've, we found out what, what yeah. errors can happen. Yeah. You know, the thing that gets me, and I think that this is the hardest thing for me to accept is, you know, a lot of people go back to Brandon Lee. Yeah. Uh, the crow. And what year was that? 93. Yeah, hey, that was 93. I'm going to bring you back to 1981 or 82. There was a series called, I want to say Models Incorporated. Mm -hmm. okay. And it was about a guy who was a, a top model. He was a model and he worked yeah. with you know, agents or whatever. But the, steer, the series starred an actor whose name was John Eric Hexham. Mm -hmm. And John Eric Hexham, uh, you'll, you should you know, look him up. John Eric Hexum was at the beginning of his career. He start, uh, he, what he was, it was just taking off. He had just finished a series called Voyager with an actor named Mino Paluch. And Mino Paluch is Soleil Moon Fry, who was Punky Brewster. Oh, Mino yeah. Paluch is, is Soleil Moon Fry's brother. 
And Mino had just finished doing Voyager with John Eric Hexum. And then John Eric got Models Incorporated. He was shooting that series. And at the time, the series was pretty popular. It was definitely becoming more popular. But he was the star of it. He was this leading man, really good looking guy. He's the kind of guy that would have gone on to play Batman. That's the kind of look he had. And John Eric Hexum was in between scenes and there was a blank gun. There was a gun on the bed, a prop gun. And he was in between scenes and he thought that the gun wasn't even loaded. Oh yeah. I remember the story. And he yeah. was like, Oh, I'm so tired. And he was like, literally, I think sitting offset on a bed or something. Yeah. And he took and he, went to click the gun and didn't realize that blanks were still in the gun. And oh. just the force of the blank alone had, had broken part of his skull and that part of his skull dislodged and went into his brain and oh. he, and he died. And we're talking, like I said, this is 19, I believe 81. Yeah. 80 or 81. So these kinds of things have been going on set now. They've been happening on set. We've been having these tragedies. And with Rust, somebody brought live rounds to the set. Yeah. So that's a whole nother like, thing. But the bottom line is this. We've been having these, from what I now can, can remember, we've been having these tragedies now for over 40 years. Now, I don't know in all the years of all the Westerns that we've seen throughout the years, you know, um, the good, the bad, and the ugly, or whatever, some of these old famous Westerns, I bet you there were so many guys who were so versed in, in weaponry. This is when they handled the guns. This is when they didn't. Mm -hmm. And you had not just one actor holding guns. You had so many guys holding guns in these Westerns. I'm sure that those films were, and, and, and all of those firearms were so monitored. Yeah. In, in a way that there, there was no room for error. And now, like I said, happened with John Eric Hexum, it happened with Brandon Lee. Um, and now unfortunately it's happened with this, you know, with this cinematographer. Mm -hmm. um, it's horrible. And, and so it just, it shouldn't be happening. And I do feel like now, now unfortunately they're saying, okay, maybe we do need to work with rubber guns and put the blast in with CGI. See, how do you yeah. feel about that though? Why not? Yeah. I personally don't care. I mean, someone might personally be a gun lover. Being a gun lover yeah. is one thing. Mm -hmm. Having safety on a set, and if you have a gun that looks like a real gun, I don't care if it's rubber or plastic or what it is. Yeah. If it looks like a real gun, hey, I'm playing an actor. I'm playing a doctor. I'm not really a doctor. Yeah. You know, hey, it's not really a gun. If it looks like a gun, good enough. Mm -hmm. If it means the safety of everybody on the set and everybody on the set knows, hey, these are all rubber guns. We're putting the blast in CGI. Why do you need to know that it's a real gun? Yeah. Why do you need to have a real gun? If it looks like yeah. a as long as it checks out. Or if it, huh? As long as it checks out. Yeah, for sure. If it checks out and it looks like a real gun, what's the difference? A if lot someone of, wants to work with real guns, they can do that off the set. But isn't it true that she was like, she was literally letting people like have target practice in, in between shots? 
So I've heard, I don't know, but you know, it's not something I'm going to, I'm going to get into, but yeah, but that's what I, I heard that, um, you know, they were, she was allowing crew members to practice off on the side. See, that's crazy. Uh, that's just, those Jeez. aren't things that those aren't, those don't fall into the, uh, into the, the prop master, uh, gun, gun care jurisdiction. Yeah. So if that is the case, I'm not sure, but that would be unfortunate. Justice will be served. And you know, and like there's they they make airsoft guns that have the blowback effect too easily. You can just do that. Just to, if you want that realism, just use airsoft guns that have the blowback, like the gas blowback effect. Yeah, like, I think it's really just going to be about people using you know rubber guns and and literally just having the gun and if you yeah. shoot it, just just having that 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 recoil, kick, whatever it is. Yeah, you know and they can put stuff in with special effects and and just call it a day. Yeah, CG's gotten so good nowadays too. It's so easy to just make a no, good gun yeah. blast. I've actually messed around with After Effects doing like the the muzzle flash effect, and you know it's so much fun to do. It's it's fun to mess around with because you know yeah. you can learn to how to make it look realistic. So, were you homaging anybody in particular to prepare for the awkward role as Ferdy? I think at the time it was me just part of my own little nerdiness and the look I think I really kind of liked is if we were going for a little bit of a nerdier um, tight pants because my pants were very tight in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> Jim Wynorski said that that's how he wanted them because I put them on and I brought them from home and I was like, oh, I got these khakis and I put them on. I'm like, oh, these aren't going to work. And he's like, no, wait a minute. They are going to work. They're a little too tight and they're a little too high. He's like, those are going to work. Those are Ferdy. And I was like, oh, yeah. God. Okay. <laughs> but I kind of him to want to, I wanted him to be a little bit of a nerdy, a little bit of a nerdier tight pants Clark Kent. Mm-hmm. I wanted his look to be a little bit like Clark Kent, a little. I can see um, that. Just the Clark Kent glasses, a little bit Christopher Reeve, but just totally nerdy and 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 you know just insecure and a little bit of a worry wart and just Mister Nervous Nelly, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, my question, and I know I've asked you more than once, probably, but did you have a stunt double for this one? <laughs> For Chopping Mall? For Chopping Mall, yeah. No. No, yeah. Well, you know, maybe, I don't know. I almost feel like that Kelly and I actually, that they had us do that blast where we fell through, where the robots are firing at us in the furniture store and we all go running away from the windows. Mm -hmm. And she and I jump and literally crash through a dining room glass table. That was all you. I think I remember Kelly and I both grabbing onto each other and they said, all you're going to do is you're going to fall through this breakaway table. That's literally like made of sugar or who knows what it was. I can't remember. I'm going to have to ask her, but I almost remember doing that stunt where we grab onto each other because we fell onto mattresses. Yeah. Cause I remember like towards the end, the, the fire extinguisher where it got thrown at you, yes. I, it kind of looked like someone else, unless that was you that got the fire extinguisher thrown at them. 
I think that was me too. It was you too? Oh, okay. Yeah, because no, the hair kind of looked a little different. But so I'm going like, to have to go back and look at it. Like I said, these are yeah. all 75 <laughs> years ago. So it's <laughs> Yeah, no, it's always cool to know. Like, uh, I like, like, I, like I mentioned earlier, I like to know who do, likes to do their own stunt work, who likes to get somebody else to do it for them, of course. Yeah, I like to do as much as I can. Of course. Yeah, yeah it's fun. Yeah. So how many days of a shooting total did Chopping Mall take to I do? I think it was about three weeks. Yeah. Three weeks. Yeah. Wow. They broke into the mall for the wildest all-night party of their lives. It's dead meat. But you're never alone in the Chopping Mall. What's that? Shopping mall, where shopping costs you an arm and a leg. A lot of people might not know this, but director Jim Wynorski has been quietly working on a chopping mall reboot that he would like to see greenlit in the nearby future. Do you have any other info on this possibility? Uh, I would certainly want to, to uh, look at it and possibly be a part of it. Yeah. Jim and I have talked about it. Um, you know, uh, he, he feels, and I, I feel that the, the fan interest is there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's an easy way to do it. You know, um, Allison and Ferdy continued to date after that night. They got married, had a kid. Yeah. And, uh, and we, you know, we find out that the mall is going to be using some type of similar type of security system, whether it's robots, it could be something different, more current. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, she and I are divorced, but we come together to kind of, save something from happening and it brings us together again. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so I, easy. It could so easily write itself. Um, and there's talk about it. Um, but I certainly, it certainly would be fun to redo. Yeah. I'll tell you this much. I'm not doing it at night. No. <laughs> <laughs> Chopping mall during the day. Hey, there, there's I'm always. Like, hey, I, you want to pay me? Well, you want to pay me really well. We'll do it at night. <laughs> They get they have filter effects to make it look like nighttime too. They should just do like chopping. Well, the only reason why, honestly, it had to be night because you needed to have a time when there wasn't a crowd in the mall. Yeah, Yeah. of course. They should just do chopping mall at the beach where the the bots are like lifeguards. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be fantastic. You know, I don't know. Maybe they have to make it an outdoor mall or something, Um, (laughs) or a flea market. Anything could happen. Um, but, but yeah, I think that's why they need, you know, they need it to be empty at night, mm-hmm. but um, it makes it difficult. Yeah. I can tell you, I mean, Head of the Class was a blast. It was, you know, five years, 114 shows. 
Um, I haven't seen the new head of the class. Um, I have some friends that have been involved with it. I know that Robin Givens um, returned to play uh, the mother of, still playing the character of Darlene, but she's the mother of one of the, the students. Yeah. Um, and I think Robin Givens, it's an understandable choice, you know, in terms of who they brought back, you know, she's, um, she's wonderful. I love Robin and yeah. uh, she's been working a lot and uh, based on her popularity, I think it was, it was a good choice. Uh, but I don't know really um, how the series, uh, you know, what I haven't seen the series and um, you know, I don't know. It's, it's hard hard especially when you see uh one reboot being done incredibly well like cobra yeah. kai yeah. um i know not every reboot reboot is going to be like that not every sequel should be done yeah uh, and you know like i said i have a lot of friends who work on the new head of the class so mm -hmm. i wish them well but yeah. um, i don't know anything about it Gotcha. So I, I remember you saying that people didn't really drive into the Warner Brothers lot back in the day and people would wait for you guys when you entered and exited. Were there any like crazy situations because of this? I remember just us walking across the street yeah. in the morning going to work and you're walking across, you know, Pass Avenue, walking into the Warner Brothers lot and the people are like, you know, they're sitting there in the morning in their cars. And they're just kind of like waking up. And now all of a sudden you see one kid go by, there goes another kid, there goes another kid. And next thing they know is they're like, that's the whole cast of head of the class, mm -hmm. you know, and they're all walking, they're all walking by. Um, so that was pretty funny just to see people's reactions in the mornings, you know, where they're like, Hey, um, that's the cast. Uh, but they stopped doing that because unfortunately Rebecca Schaefer, who was doing my sister, Sam, um, uh, a fan had gone to her door and unfortunately she answered the door and they took her life. Mm -hmm. And oh. because that happened, they decided that we needed to have more protection and needed to be safer. So they stopped us walking across the street and we all got to then drive onto the lot and, and pull up and have a valet service right at the stage door. That's good. Gotcha. But that was all due to the, uh, the um, unfortunate death of Rebecca Schaefer. So we got just a couple more questions and then we have our famous speed round at the end. Um, oh gosh, I'm not even, I don't even know anything about the speed oh, round. So I'm a little scared, but excited. You're going to love it. Yeah, you um, will. <laughs> so you've had, you've had a pretty prosperous last couple months with convention appearances, appearing at a Comic-Con in Texas and Monster Mania in Pennsylvania. How do you like getting to meet the, the many Cobra Kai, Chopping Mall, and Head of the Class fans all these years later? I love it. I just love the fact that people, you know, come out and and you find out that they are people who have been following you for 40 years. And, oh, I remember you in Dynasty. Yeah. And I remember you in, in, in this. And, you know, I remember I think you in they want to talk to me about one thing. And they want to talk to me about something completely different that, yeah. that you know, um, it's just so great that people come from so far to, mm -hmm. to say hello and to meet me. And, um, and it's interesting. It's cool how they, they love karate kid. And now you see that they're passing it on to their kids in Cobra Kai and yeah. they share their love of karate kid. And now together as, 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 as a parents and as kids, they can all enjoy karate kid and Cobra Kai together. And it's, you know, so not are you just seeing the parents, now you're seeing the kids and they're all 
they're also happy to meet you. And, um, and that's really cool. Um, yeah, it's just, that's, uh, it's, it's an awesome thing. Mm-hmm. And some people I've had people say, Hey, we flew from Florida to meet you. Um, the last Comic-Con I did, I had, there was a fan of mine. She drove nine hours with her friend and they drove nine hours to come and hang out for the weekend and to meet That's me. So and, cool. Um, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I can tell like, you know, you're, you come off like a very likable person and, you know, I could imagine the fans will always have such a memorable moment in their life meeting you. Uh, well, thanks. Um, I mean, I guess that's a testament to my parents. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I think you are who you are based on how you're raised. Of course. But, you know, if you can't any, be anything but grateful for, um, you know, if, if I can't be anything but grateful for, you know, the, the, the career I've had in this business and, yeah. and uh, the things that have happened and, and now how they're still kind of happening, uh, my whole life and career have kind of been rebooted. Yeah. Uh, which is really kind of cool. And I'm still here and happy and healthy to be able to, to, to witness it. Um, you know, I, I love meeting the fans and, and I try and spend time with them when they come on out and, yeah. you know, give them something special that they can take away. And uh, even though you only get so much time, I like to say hi to them, ask them where they're from. Yeah. Uh, you know, add the names of their kids, interact with the kids, give them a fist pump. Um, so cool. You just got to be able to enjoy it and, and you know, mm-hmm. and make sure they, they have a good time too. Mm-hmm. Of course. Had, had you not been an actor, what do you think you would have done as a career? There's two things that stand out for me. I've always been really into medicine. Really? So I probably would have maybe been like a doctor or a nurse pharmacist like that paramedic yeah uh and then i'm really really into languages um i speak fluent spanish i speak a little italian little hungarian little french little german some sign language nice Um, so so i just kind of have a linguistic brain Mm -hmm. and i think maybe i would have been it would have been really cool to be like a translator yeah i think Tell us about the guy who pleasured himself at Universal. <laughs> he was telling me about this earlier. <laughs> I didn't tell him a lot because I just wanted to hear from you. Oh, I, yes. Okay. Yeah. Probably you didn't need to. <laughs> you knew it was coming. What was the term you used? Tell us about what? Uh, tell us about the guy who pleasured himself at Universal okay. Studios. Yes. Hollywood. Well, I actually had a friend of mine and he was working at um, a studio. And it was a studio per se that had uh, that was giving tours in trams. And a friend of mine was um, he was acting in a show and uh, he was in between scenes and he decided to go to his uh, his dressing room, his honey wagon, and uh, maybe have a little nap and also pleasure himself uh, in his in his downtime and he uh, (laughs) forgot to lock his door of course and one of the PAs 
came knocking on his door to at, tell them he, they were ready for him to come to set. And I guess he was kind of in the, in the throes of it, so to speak, <laughs> no pun intended. And oh, he opened the door and threw the door open oh, as no. a tram was going by. And they're like, yes, and <laughs> here is the, 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 these are the dressing rooms of the actors <laughs> that are on. And he said he was sitting there as the train was going by. <laughs> oh, and no. And he had been um, caught by the PA and by everybody on the tram. Oh, while no. He was, while he was <laughs> playing with himself. Oh, oh great. God. <laughs> and nobody. He wasn't fixing his glasses. And nobody, so, nobody got mad. Nobody found out. Nobody. I, hey, look, after that, do I really ask the actor anymore? <laughs> did he no, still work? Is the question. I didn't get into the specifics of it, Kellen. <laughs> I just left it at that. When he told um, me the story, I was laughing hysterically. And, um, you know, and at that moment, I don't think I, I, I asked anything else. Was just he gl- just was he prideful wasn't... about it? Sorry, you had two questions. Was, was he uh, prideful about it? Was he happy he did it? <laughs> Just laughed about it. That's and so embar- cool. I think embarrassed and laughed. Yeah, well, it's, pro- it's probably a good thing it didn't happen in today's now and age <laughs> with everybody with a phone now and a camera phone. Like, oh god, I can't even imagine. Well, <laughs> so um, yeah, but yeah. So I've always more. made sure that no matter what I'm doing, you keep your um, you keep your trailer door locked. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so you did, you did a cartoon series with Corey Feldman called the puppies further or further adventures. Mm -hmm. What's that all about? And what's Corey like? We've, we've both met him before. It's pretty cool. Uh, um, well, when I knew Corey, it was much younger, you know, he was definitely younger. If I was 22, he was probably 15, 16, something like that. 17. Yeah. Um, He was a fun kid. I don't, you know, we're friends on Facebook. I haven't talked to him though in, in, in a really long time. Yeah. Um, so I was really more friends with Corey Hain. Um, oh, I didn't know that. We, wow. And we hung out. Um, we hung out more, uh, a lot more. Wow. Um, but Puppies Further Adventures was literally about a, a kid who's on a trip with his, his family a, in Europe. And mm-hmm. we lose our dog. We take our dog on the trip and we lose our puppy. And, and we end up having to go back home, but the puppy stays in Europe and meets like Frenchie, the poodle and the, the, the puppy then meets all these other dog friends uh, that are supposedly going to help Petey, the dog find yeah. his way back to his American family. And I oh, play cool. Tommy who, who is the owner of, of Petey. And he's always remembering me and I'd be like, Petey, Petey, you're home, you're home. <laughs> you know, that kind of a thing. Um, but the series went like, you know, two years. I remember I did the, I did the pilot, which was really more like a movie. Yeah. And um, for TV. And then my agent, Mary, called me up like a year later and she goes, can you still do this voice? Because your voice is changing. Yeah. And you sound older. Oh, no. And it's a year and a half later and I was in bed and I had a cold. Oh, uh, of course. And I was like, um, yeah, sure. Um, Petey, Petey. I was like, 
there was a part of me that struggled to do it, but I was capable enough to do it that um, they heard me do it and they're like, okay, great. He can still do it. Yeah. So then when it turned into a series and we did it for two years. Is that available to watch anywhere? Uh, the puppy's further adventures has to be somewhere. somewhere. I know if you look it up on IMDB, it's there. I got to find it. Um, so we've reached the end. This is our infamous speed round. I basically ask you a bunch of bullshit questions and you give me your, your favorite answers. So, uh, what's your all time? So like they're like just the answers off the top of my head. Yeah. It's like off yeah. the cuff. So like whatever. This is like when James mind. Lipton asks his questions at the end of his interviews. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, what's your all time favorite movie? <laughs> <laughs> If you, you could just give me like one, it doesn't anything, matter. anything. I love the field of dreams. Okay. Classic. And I also really love the wizard of Oz. Oh, All right. Hell yeah. yes. Grape jelly or strawberry jelly. <laughs> strawberry jelly. Oh, oh come on. Oh, come on. Come on. Damn it. <laughs> All right. Least favorite thing you've ever done on camera. <laughs> That's, that, came, that came off really wrong, but sorry. Least favorite thing I've ever done on camera. <laughs> Died by an alien's laser ring. That's perfect. <laughs> favorite line you've delivered from any of your works. Oh, no. Favorite line. First that comes to mind. The dirty, hairy line. <laughs> I've seen it 54 times. <clears throat> yes, pretty much that. <laughs> I've uh, watched Dirty Harry 54 times. Yeah. Uh, tacos 1986 or Tacos 90, 1986? Tacos 1986. Oh, perfect. Yeah. I favorite, love tacos. Yeah, we love that place. That, that was just an inside joke. Yes. <laughs> favorite athlete. Oh, my gosh. You're killing me. John Kreese. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm going to go with my brother's godfather, Carmen Basilio. He was a middleweight and welterweight champion of the world in 1960. All right. And I, uh, I grew up as with Carmen Basilio being one of my father's best friends that he grew up with in Canastota, New York. And then he became my brother's godfather, but he also became one of the greatest boxers um, that ever lived. So I think that was a, that's a, a good one too. All right. Best restaurant in LA. <clears throat> You're killing me. I know, I know you <laughs> love food too. So, well, I'm a huge fan of sushi, so I'm not going to talk about my favorite sushi place. Cause I don't want everybody there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't want everybody, but I there. really, um, there, there's two that I, I really like. There's one in downtown LA called the factory kitchen. And there's okay. one in downtown LA called Grosso blue, which okay. is, um, which is an Italian restaurant, gourmet Italian, uh, just, just so delicious. Perfect. All right. What is, uh, the best tea? I'm sorry. Best pizza topping. Other than cheese. Yeah. I, yeah. All right. All right. Sure. Other than cheese, because yeah, you consider yeah. you consider okay, the best pizza topping, um, sausage. Yes, that's good. Yes. Uh, best advice you ever received, John Ritter. 
persevere. Yeah. All right. Never give up. Oh, another great one. One more. Sorry. Linda Evans on the set of Dynasty said to me, in life, you're going to make mistakes, but just learn that none of them are mistakes because you ultimately, whether they were mistakes or not, you learn from all of them. So that's a good one. Don't ever let your mistakes get you down. Mm -hmm. Absolutely not. Right. If you could resurrect three famous figures from history or entertainment to have dinner with, who would they be? Well, you said resurrect. So I first have to go with Jesus. Oh, (laughs) all right. Yeah. But yeah, that'd be a good one. That's one. Come on. It's gotta be John Ritter. (laughs) Well, he would be fun at a table. That's for sure. That's what I'm saying. There would be a lot of laughs. But yeah. um, um, I, I'm not going to go that route. Uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to say Don Rickles. Oh, yeah. The legend. Okay. And I, that I've got to mix it up with someone really, really, really great. <laughs> this is, this is difficult. It is. This is hard. Why didn't you tell me these before? <laughs> I mean, you know. Um, it's off the cuff. Would you say? I was like, it's off the cuff. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, no. Uh, there, there are just so many. Um, I was the actress that starred in the movie The Trip to Bountiful. She was the one actress that I always wanted to work with. Geraldine Page. Geraldine Page. Mm-hmm. She was a phenomenal, phenomenal actress, kind of like equivalent to our um, Jessica Tandy or or um, Olivia Coleman. I mean, just that that you know, um, you know, just that caliber of an actress. Yeah. Jessica Tandy. I mean, and um, I, I forgot the actress's name. I just said Geraldine Page. Mary Geraldine Page. She was one of the actresses that I wanted to work with in the very, very beginning of my career because a movie came out that she started and called a trip to bountiful. And it was just incredible. And she was amazing. And she did. So I, uh, yeah, that would be uh, cool. Um, who would win in a fight you or Mr. Miyagi? Mr. Miyagi. Okay. <laughs> Favorite color. Blue. Oh, me too. Favorite or uh, nunchucks or sword. Sword. Yes. Cobra Kai or Eagle Fang? Cobra Kai. Okay. Chinese food or Japanese food? Say that again, please. Chinese food or Japanese food? Japanese food, hands down, without a doubt. Sushi (laughs) and sashimi all the way. Most awkward fan integration at a convention? Interaction. Interaction. Oh, interaction. Sorry. It spelled wrong. When they walk up to you and say, we just wanted to say hello. And then they look down at your pictures and they go, nah. <laughs> I haven't seen any of these. Oh my what? God. Huh. Well, nice meeting you. <laughs> oh, the worst. There, there weren't huh. like any, any individual. I haven't seen any of those. Oh, wait. Here's one I really, when they go like this, they look at an eight by 10 of me from like, you know, 1982 or 1983. And they go, 
that's you. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, that's you. And I'm like, yeah, that's me. And they're like, and they're like, doesn't look like you. I'm like, no way. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. People say these things. I know you had one other recent uh, fan interaction that was a little awkward. Uh, I'll just go with the word apricot. Um, we don't have to talk about that. <laughs> yeah. You um, know about it. Though. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I sometimes get really hounded. You know, if I get really hounded or there's someone that I'm really um, leery of or whatever, uh, that can get a little, it can sometimes get a little scary. I try and look at it as, you know, a lot of the, some people have great intentions yeah. and they're awesome. Um, you know, occasionally, uh, very rarely do, do people cross the line. Yeah. Um, but when know, they do. ask you for your address, your phone number, <laughs> things like that. Yeah. Um, but if that happens, I do have code words. Yes. Yes. Apricot was the perfect one. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were a porn star, what would be your porn star name? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. We asked this like the last five, five episodes. Uh, hold on for a second, because I actually have it. <laughs> here, so I, I need down. your i need your porn star because, name and on. catch and catchphrase uh, <laughs> and i'll tell you exactly what it is because i was just recently <laughs> um hanging with this comedian yeah. um mary uh and she is just this wonderful hysterical hysterical comedian and i just <laughs> ran into her at a party and she was wearing this finger fingernail polish in fact she's having dinner here on monday night Oh, perfect. And and she was wearing this fingernail polish that was a really cool color. And it was this burgundy color, this deep burgundy. Yeah. And I said, what is that? But why does it not, doesn't it have any shine? And she goes, it's all, um, it's matte. It's all like matte. Yeah. It's all a matte finish. And I said, mm-hmm. you know what? If I was a porn star, I would want my name to be Matt Burgundy. Oh, I thought you were going to say Matt finish. <laughs> no, that's, that's different. That's the sequel. It was funny. <laughs> but yeah, Matt Burgundy. Matt Matt Bur- Bur- How you doing? Matt Burgundy. Matt Burgundy. Service. Matt Burgundy. Wait, so what would be your catchphrase? You got to have a catchphrase. I got, I got nothing. Oh, that would not it, be my catch. <laughs> I got nothing. I got nothing with a nut. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, <clears throat> your, your turn. Oh yeah. <laughs> what is that? What is the last item that you threw at someone? <laughs> Did you throw anything at Kellen? <laughs> I don't think so. Oh yeah. But I usually catch it. You, <laughs> When I like forget I'm not stuff. Sure, I'm not sure what that is, but I, I don't think I've thrown anything at anyone lately. <laughs> yeah. Maybe when my electrician was um, doing electrical work and he was asking me to assist and he's like, okay, he's in my attic and he's all the way down. He's like, okay, throw the screwdriver, you know, <laughs> pretty right. much. It. Last couple here. Favorite food. Sushi. All right. Most embarrassing moment. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta love it. It was 1980 and I was driving home to pick up my dad. Oh no. uh, To take him somewhere and I needed to get some gas. Okay. So I 
got out of my car. I handed $5 to the gas station attendant. Yes, there were gas station attendants back then. And yeah. gas was, and the whole tank of gas was like $5. Yeah. Was handed him five bucks. I had a Mazda RX-7. Yeah. And I took the gas hose and I filled my tank full of gas. Mm-hmm. And I got in the car and I took off with the gas hose still in my car. Oh no. Oh boy. And if you think that, you know how, when you're at a gas pump and gas pumps, you like, you're sometimes struggling them just to get them around and into your car. Yeah. They only stretch like 10 feet. Yeah. It's not true. Gas hoses can stretch like 20 feet. Wow. Because I stretch that gas hose, I pull out and I'm going out of the driveway of the gas station, which oh is 20 God. feet back. And all of a sudden you just hear this. Wow. Tank, and I look back and my, the gas hose is connected to my car. Yeah. And it's stretched 20 feet back to the gas tank and the actual gas tank gas station tank is tilted like this wow and gasoline is just pouring out Feeling. of the gas yeah wow did you how did you explain that um i didn't uh they somehow had a way of shutting it off and i went home and i told my dad what had happened and I went back with my dad and he talked with them and they said, you know what, we have insurance. And I think at the time they knew my father was sick and they just said, you yeah. know what, um, don't worry about it. Wow. That's you know, cool. It's okay. But yeah, my most embarrassing moment was leaving a gas station with a gas hose still in my car. Oh my God. Yeah. And the last one is what are you most proud of? Hmm. I would say two things, the life that I've lived and um, my nephews and nieces. That's cool. All right. I have 20. I'm I'm about to have 22 of them. That's insane. (laughs) Wow. Um, Yeah. I have eight nephews and nieces and about to have my 14th great nephew. That's amazing. So, yeah. Where can your fans find you? What are your social media handles? Um, I have a Facebook page, but a lot of people try and add me on my personal Facebook, which I don't add people to. And I actually say on that Facebook page, this is just for family and friends. Yeah. Um, There is another Tony O'Dell uh, Facebook page that they can. Um, I think on Twitter. Yeah. uh, I think I'm just the Tony O'Dell. I know on Instagram, I am the Tony O'Dell. Yeah. And let me see. And on Twitter, Instagram's the only really important one at the I'm end of the day. The Tony Odell. Yeah. On both Instagram and Twitter, I'm the Tony Odell. Nice. Do you use Twitter? I do now. I'm using it more and more that I see that okay. a lot of uh, fans from Karate Kid and Cobra Kai are asking questions there. Oh, that's um, good then. So I do address them now. And if I post something on Instagram, I post it all the way. Across board, I posted on Facebook, I posted on Insta on uh, Twitter. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's the Tony Odell. 
Perfect. Well, thank you so much again for doing this with us. Yeah. It's a pleasure to have you on. I'm, it was I'm a lot of fun, guys. Glad yeah. to call you a friend. So thank you cool. for taking me down memory lane. Yeah, absolutely. And it was an honor to get to speak with you about your work. Me as a someone who's been a Karate Kid fan for years, it, this was really cool to do. So thank you. That's yeah. awesome. You're welcome. And uh, thanks for having me. And um, hope it was fun for you. And I hope you found out a little bit more than maybe you didn't know. Yeah, I did. absolutely. I did. Sorry, sorry, it went a little long, but that usually only means one thing, and that's the episode was great. Hell so, yeah, awesome! This is one of our favorites we've ever done. So thank you so much. Awesome, thank you, Kellen. Thank you, thanks, guys. Yeah, you're welcome. Sure. Yeah, of course. Thank let's you. Get some, let's get some hey. lasagna pizza. <laughs> yeah, I think you owe me a taco. I owe you ten. <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> All right. All right. Have All a great right. rest of your day, Tony. All right. All right. You Bye, Tony. Too. See you. Take care.